The Football Pod on OTB Sports. You still listen to the Football Pod or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. It's half past seven. You're welcome along to Wednesday's OTBAM. Owen and Johnny with you right away through until 10 o'clock this morning. We're going to be getting you in the mood for a big weekend of GEA action between now and then. We're going to have David Brady with us. We're going to have uh, Kevin Walsh with us to look ahead to the weekend's football. It looks like this Sunday is going to be the biggest crowd at a GEA event since 2019. So we're pretty excited about that. Two brilliant games as well on the horizon there. We'll also be previewing Saturday's matches as well. We're also going to take one last look back on last weekend because Wexford hurler Matthew O'Hanlon is going to join us for a chat to reflect on that dramatic defeat to Clare last Saturday in Thurless and we're also going to be telling you this morning about a retro kit conference that's happening in Dundalk on Saturday week you can tweet us at Off The Ball or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream if that's where you're watching us this morning uh, Johnny Ward how are you getting on? What's up? What's uh, you on? are in fresh from a road show in Kildare last night which was uh, exceptional by all accounts it really it really was a really enjoyable night um, John Duggan presented and Kevin Manning um, Mick Canan and uh, Johnny Murta three kind of different characters but uh, I don't know it was just like you know they they spoke really really kind of uh, shackles were off about the, their life as jockeys Kevin Manning um, still riding and uh, you know has done amazing work in terms of riding and keeping his weight down but Mick Canan I thought spoke Fascinating stuff about his time in Bally Doyle and the pressures and Johnny Murta um, was Johnny Murta really engaging character and uh, yeah wherever channels it's on I think it's really if you're into racing it's unmissable I really really thought it was uh, just great entertainment um, in the Silk and Thomas in Kildare which I think is kind of only really properly open again post COVID and um, so myself and JD um, presented or whatever JD presented and I was with him and uh, we had a great nice nice crowd of local people there um, and all set up for the Irish Derby on Saturday which I think is going to be a, actually a hell of a race um, I think being, not, being honest now I think it's a race that has um, lost some of its lustre we're looking at the winners about 20 years ago and like some unbelievable races um, but it's kind of become a bit of an Aidan O'Brien benefit like where um, there could be a small field and uh, he's able to kind of dominate the race but that's not the case this year um, he's a great record in the race but uh, he had to supplement a horse this year to try to win it um, and I think it's you know with an English raider coming over who's ridden by Colin Keane which is controversial because his regular jockey um, Rob Hornby's been kind of jocked off basically um, and Colin Keane is riding ostensibly because of his local knowledge of the Curra, um, but he would have had very few derby rides Colin Keane so um, it's going to be an intriguing race and the Curra is in an interesting place at the moment because you know 90 to 100 million or whatever was spent in its redevelopment um, but it's had issues and um, it has a real problem in getting people back to the racetrack and I've made the point before I think it's a scandal that the the railway station that was there for race days is gone anymore because it meant like say you, you're not you're not really interested in racing but if you want to go to the Curra for like Derby Day which is a great day out mm. you could get the train from Galway Cork Limerick or Dublin it, it was all, it's all on the on that line and um, they got rid of the, the the kind of halt a few years ago I'm not really sure why and I did a piece there uh, maybe three or four years ago saying it, like it would be 
it's mu- it's much better if you're able to get public transport. If you want to have a few drinks, relax. It's um, not. It's not. Is it the worst? Like, because I was there for Guinea's Day. Right? Mm. This is going back four years, I'd say, at this mm. point, and it was when the redevelopment was going on. So maybe the crowds were down, and or maybe we just got there at a good time. And it felt very easy to get the shuttle buses and all that. But on mm. on a bigger day, you're, you're saying it's. Uh, it, but the shuttle, you can get shuttle buses from Kildare, but I mean, you get the bus from Dublin. Like, I'm, I suppose you're uh, talking for people coming from elsewhere. Well, like the the the, the Irish rail system is such that basically almost the entire country goes through Kildare like so yeah. that, that was um, you know that we have an amazing rail network which is like one of the first in the world um, but Kildare is a real hub and I said to I, I don't know if I put it here in Rotherin or somebody put it here in Rotherin at the time and I wrote an article a few years ago I was like this could really help the Curra and Brian Kavanagh who was HRI chief at the time was saying the Curra could actually become a park and ride for commuters as well yeah. during the week and this makes sense and Aaron Rotherin came back and said it would cost two million Right, and I was just like, sorry, two million to literally—it's—it's it's on the line. Like, literally, just put a put a train station there, and if it were two million four years ago, it's probably about twelve million now with Irish prices. So it's like, so so in China, like they, they just in COVID, they just build a hospital in two weeks because they need to, and you're saying it would cost two million to literally stop the train there with signals, and I'm sure there are people who are involved in the rail and saying, oh, it actually would. I was like, what, like, what a country we live in. It's two million. So that's not going to happen, obviously. But I think it would really help because the car is struggling to attract people for the, the money that was spent on it. And it was, it, the refurbishment was badly needed. It's not in a place where it can count on, like, it's 40 quid to get in on, on Saturday. And I don't know what the crowd's going to be like. And I think it's, it's You're going, not going to be one of them by the, are you going to be there? Saturday? I'm going, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. You're, you're right. trying to imply that I'm not going to I, pay. Well, I, I just, um, no, I, sorry. No, I, which I, is I just, just correct. <laughs> um, but like, I mean, I thought that the rail, the lack of a rail system would have, uh, no. I guess, dissuaded you from attending. No, but like the the the, the curve from Dublin is like pff, I mean you could probably do it if they did a proper uh, train service. It'd probably be like half an hour or something. Like that's that's a, that's not even a commute for some people. So it'd be really convenient, and it's a day meet. So then you're back on Saturday evening, you know, very early in Dublin, or going to Kildare or whatever it is, or if from Galway, like it could be like a train that would take like an hour and a half or something if they did it properly. So I think I really think it's something they should look at because um, public transport is in a good place in this country at the moment since they you know they, they slashed fares and like a train to Galway now is like 15 euro or something whereas you know fuel is so expensive but I think the car would really benefit from that that notwithstanding um, it's 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 a beautiful development I think but it's struggling to get people to go and it's it's not going to be easy that road show is going out on Friday by the way keep an eye out for that and uh, you've sold it well there I think there's not as much railway talk on the actual road show as uh, there was even mentioned there might actually. be so that's that's uh, mm-hmm. either a positive yes. or a negative depending on your worldview they used to bring the horses to the races on the train back in the day as well that was a common thing to do that yeah. that was how you ro- you brought the horse to the races in one of the the freight trains or, or one of the rail carriages and he ran and then he went back home the train like everyone else Bozang David's been in touch say folks apologies I missed the first four minutes I presume Johnny has mentioned Gavin Bazunu already uh, he has not but we can uh, mention his uh, original parent club not his parent club his uh, his home club or whatever way you want to uh, describe this in, in Shamrock Rovers this Friday that, that could be your weekend Johnny Rovers Bowls Friday Derby oh, Day Saturday Croke Park Sunday well I I mean I really had a great weekend lined up it was like it was an eclectic Dublin weekend where I was going to kind of marry logistics and interest in, in many things in life Um so Sunday it was going to be um, 
the game obviously in Quoker which I'm really looking forward to a lot of people up from home but the the wine pair in uh, Clambrassa Street we've gotten to know um, the Argentinian guy Alvaro who works there and he's like would you like to come to our wine tasting on Sunday and I was like oh, okay that sounds interesting where is it on Drum Condra at 5 o'clock so I was like not really thinking like Kerry and Mayo is on here as well so like how am I but anyway so I'm going to go to the first game uh, the Galway game obviously and then go on to the wine tasting and Saturday I was going to go to the Irish Derby and on Friday I was going to go to the National Concert Hall for a Sean O'Reilly kind of um, performance that is vaguely um, to do with the War of Independence and themes about the War of Independence so set up like a WhatsApp group got four lads that we're all going to go and they like cancelled it five hours after I booked the tickets ah. so now Friday could involve lads not on tour is what lads not on tour it's like the, the Simpsons the new and improved kids news has been cancelled you know so anyway it was like set up WhatsApp group and it's called off a few hours later so I, I would have I thought that would have been a cool night but maybe I will watch uh, Shamrock Rovers bows instead and you get to stay for Kerry Mayo as well oh no sorry the one tasting is happening still the wine tasting's happening. Yeah, yeah sorry, that hasn't so been cancelled. You're, you're trying see- to preempt its cancellation. Like, so you're not you're yeah. not going to see the end of Kerry Mayo. So, no, like that. That's probably that's probably a bad call on my behalf. But at the same time, you know, if the missus is going along uh, to Croker, which is a rare thing for, I think the last time she was at a Kildare game was 1998. Okay, she's from Kildare. Yeah, okay. I mean, bandwagon stuff. Right. A lot has happened since then, as we'll talk uh, with Kevin Walsh about. Yeah, um, but. You know, it, like I would, pr- I would probably say I'm the first person ever to go from a GEA game to wine tasting. You're like, definitely not. You, right, you're, definitely you not. Uh, you're definitely not. You think like you think wine tasting is a sort of like left field, and uh, some, something that people just don't do. Like I'm, I'm sure there's that Drum Conjure wine tasting place has been frequented by many a match goer right afterwards because of the the geographical sense it makes. Well, it's it's a kind of a one off event, and I I think you're wrong on this. Like, but the the problem is, can you taste? Can you like t- tell the difference in wine after like a few pints of Guinness in Coe Park? Yes. So you can between red and white anyway. But that's <laughs> I mean. Uh, <laughs> Can we get a poll up on, uh, on, on our Twitter account? Down. Have you ever gone to a wine tasting after being to a GEA match? <laughs> yes, no. And even if there is 0.1% of uh, yes vote on that, uh, I will be vindicated. Won't uh, be somewhere, Mark Rowdell. There will be. Like, like colossal, like. It's, it's going to be a great day. Absolutely will. Really looking forward to it. Uh, MOC says a train station at a race course. Only one airport in Ireland has a train connection. Do you know what it is? Only one airport in Ireland yeah. has a train connection. You know uh, Farron 4. Correct. Um, Kerry Airport. Yeah, because I'd enjoy. I used to. I spend a lot of time in 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 um, Kerry, and uh, yeah, I used to get the train to Farn Four. But I mean, even that. I mean, it's not exactly. It's still a good walk from the 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 actual airport. It's not. Well, there used to not be a footpath, and the footpath mm. has been built. This is a really interesting conversation. <laughs> a footpath from uh, Farnford. New and improved OTVAM has been cancelled. Well, speaking of which, <laughs> Shane has been in touch to say Adrian Barry and his cheese board. Now Johnny with his wine tasting, a very upmarket group on OTB. And then Dan Delaney's got an offer for you. Tell Johnny he can park in my house in that Garvin for the Derby if he's stuck this weekend. Bed and board included. That's nice. That's this is why this is why we we live in such a great country. Um, Bed and board included, yeah. It'd probably be like, I didn't expect you to take you, take, I mean, what, what are you doing here? I was, I was joking, like, um, <laughs> turn over on Saturday evening, talking about wine tasting. Yeah, uh, it is uh, 7.40, you're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to have Matt O'Hanlon with us in about 10 minutes' time to reflect on Wexford's season. The retro jersey piece coming your way at 10 past 8. Uh, a, a conference for retro jersey lovers coming to Dundalk on Saturday week, so we'll tell you all about that. Sports pages at half past 8, and then David Brady 
will be with us in some capacity at 20 to 9. Maybe he'll be in studio, maybe he'll be on the phone, maybe Only he'll be David on Zoom. Brady knows that. But you will find out at 20 to 9. Uh, sports news coming your way at 9 o'clock and then Keith Wall, uh, Kevin Walsh will be with us at uh, 10 past 9 uh, to look ahead to Galway against our man in particular in the other quarterfinals as well. And then Paul Mannion was on last night's show. We'll bring you that at half past 9. Uh, Dan McDonald was with us on the show yesterday. Johnny and uh, he was giving us some of our breakthrough League of Ireland stars of 2022 um, these are basically players that have been born this century he went for Andy Lyons of Shamrock Rovers Nathan Shepherd of Dundalk Sam Curtis of St. Pat's Jack Moylan of Shells and Brandon Kavanagh of Derry is that a sound list? It's a sound list yeah um, I went with um, fairly similar I went with Sam Curtis who um, has come into the St. Pat's team was at Shamrock Rovers has been linked with Feyenoord I think yeah but like uh, I suppose when I, the first time I saw him play um, was recently against Bowes. But like for a sixteen-year-old, he, he honestly looks far, far older. He's he's a great kind of presence about him. Looks a really good player, and I'm I'm basing that again on seeing him play like a couple of times. But he looks very, very good. Will definitely move away. Um, and again, you know, there'd be there's talk of Luke McNally going to Burnley actually um, from Oxford, and that would be nice money for St. Pat's if that happened. And like. I, I almost think that the, the Shamrock Rovers money they're getting for Bzunu hasn't been. I don't know if we've kind of reflected on it enough in Irish football that Irish an Irish team will get three million. Like Seamus Coleman was like fifty grand, yeah, and shit, like three million for a player who hasn't even played in the Premier League yet. Um, it's kind of mad, but that's I think that's a template for where we can go with with uh, transfers. The beginning of a trend. I think it is. Like yeah. I, I think that might be a bit of an outlier because yeah. Gavin Mazzoon is. Pro- I think he's, he's going to be a world class goalkeeper. Like I don't, I don't. I honestly don't think there's a debate as to whether he should start for Ireland. And, and I think it was it was interesting that remember when we. I didn't we, even bring up Gavin Mazzoon actually. What are we? Thirteen minutes in. Just bingo for whoever was listening. There we go. Yeah. What are we? What was the question again? The second one is Alex Murphy, who's gone to Newcastle. Um, Galway United player, and by all accounts. Um, Galway United is doing well out of the transfer as well. So I, I and I, I do genuinely feel that and I was on to Galway United, I was like I was on to the board, I was like if you know, if the figure that I'm hearing is true here, you gotta ask for a lot more. Um but I think that they were saying that you know, they were looking at Gavin Bazunu and saying thinking, Well, if if they're getting so much for that and looking at other clubs like a bank was going to Udinese for I think I said to them, Well, if a bank was going to Udinese for what could be a million or whatever, like Alex Murphy has arguably done almost as much as a banqua and he's the same age he's a similar profile so we should be looking for something similar I don't know what they got but I was making the point that don't undervalue us just because we're going United um, trying to imply that I was central to the deal when I was basically just texting the chairman or something Liam, Liam Kerrigan for um, uh, for UCD I mean he's I was talking to a mate of mine this morning he said he's been around a while he has been around a while um, but he's I guess this was his kind of first Premier Division season and he's been very good for the 21s he's gotten a goal for the 21s um, he's a certainty to leave in the summer um, looks a very good player I haven't seen that much UCD but all the reports are very good kind of attacking midfielder Nathan Shepard was one of Dan's selections um, I think that's a fair shout there's probably a thing about goalkeepers that don't look that tall and the first time I saw him, I think I saw him in Terryland in a in a preseason game, and he's one of these keepers like that. You look at him and you're like, he just yeah, just he's, he doesn't have that much that presence about him where you're where he'd kind of like Yaros for Pats last last year for unknown from Liverpool. Like he looks like a goalkeeper. Shepard 
isn't that tall, but he's a very good goalkeeper. Like right. and he's really developing at, at Dundalk. Um, under Stephen O'Donnell, who brought Yaros in as well, so he's Stephen O'Donnell has shown a real eye for overseas goalkeepers. And finally, Andy Lyons. Um, I have to say his um his performances at left wing back for Shamrock Rovers amazed me. I didn't think he was that good going forward for Bowes. I certainly didn't think he was an obvious player to play on the left and um, they've really missed him when he hasn't been playing he's been absolutely brilliant So missed the last couple of games well yeah. including Ireland as well I guess yeah. yeah so Sam Curtis Alex Murphy Liam Carrigan Nathan Shepard and Andy Lyons for me and it's a really refreshing aspect of the League of Ireland that there are so many young players coming through uh, a couple of comments coming in Rommel wonders will Kerry choke again or have Mayo players already thrown into towel we'll put that one to David Brady later on and Isil Codia says I haven't gone from GEA to wine tasting but I've gone from a wine and cheese bar to Croke Park the wine and cheese bar is probably that Italian place that Mick Wallace used to have, which is basically literally on, on Jones's. Yeah, rush. yeah. Good pizza. Good pizza. Yeah. yeah. Although, I mean, uh, when 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 you go to somewhere that sells pizza, it's like how can you how can you not make good pizza? I mean, it's literally you'd one job and it takes about five minutes, so it should be good pizza. There's a lovely Wexford segue into our first guest this morning, which uh, I could do, but uh, we'll just uh, want to get your thoughts in on uh, Galway briefly. Uh, like, is it tongue in cheek when I'm throwing at you Galway for the double this year because it feels like anybody for the double, extra the double, is just like uh, the oldest, most boring joke in GEA history. But now it's kind of like. Galway actually have a reasonable it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that you could actually be looking at two All-Ireland finals I know the hurling is probably the issue there isn't it <laughs> I mean Clare would probably have a similar chance to double to Galway if I mean really I, I'm, I'm obviously being facetious like yeah. I, I, did, I have an article in the match programme actually Sunday and I was saying it's the first time in years that Galway footballers have been basically have been shorter than the hurlers to win the All-Ireland but like the, the hurlers were 16-1 to 1 before Saturday, but like, there's nothing in that, nothing in their performances at all to suggest they can beat Limerick. They've, Galway Hurlers have far too many players that to me are just six, seven out of ten and could, could easily be taken off. I mean, they've, they're forward, if, if, Cal, if, if, if Connor Whelan weren't playing against Limerick, I could see, easily see Limerick winning by about ten points. So Galway. But he will be playing. He will be playing. Class. He will, and in fairness, they, they, they somehow beat Kilkenny more or less without him in Salt Hill. And that would give me a, a lot of hope, but they don't, I don't know, they're, it's probably early in, in the development of the team under Shefflin but the hurlers there's no way they can beat Limerick but on the football side you got to be thinking all Ireland final the here. footballers have a chance definitely yeah um, I, I mean I still I still wonder will they be quite good enough defensively against very good teams and we'll see on Sunday fascinating interview with Kevin Wallace we've been talking to a few people about his, his reign and there's a lot of questions for him in terms of the development of football at a time when football was changing drastically completely anathema to the Galway DNA I think and I think that's something that Kevin um, struggled with a bit because he was like this wasn't in his DNA and Galway had to become defensive but they've evolved and they're very very good forwards so I think the footballers have a chance the hurlers I, I, couldn't, I can't see them beating Limerick yeah, we're going to have Kevin Walsh on the show a little bit later on. If you're just joining us, David Brady as well will be with us to look ahead uh, to this weekend's action in Croke Park. But we are, for the time being, going to turn back to last weekend's All-Ireland Hurling quarterfinals in Thurles. And we saw probably one of the best halves of hurling of the season in the second half between Clare and Wexford. Uh, Matt O'Hanlon has once again been one of the stars of the season for the Wexford hurlers. And I'm delighted to say he's with us now. Uh, Matt, you're very welcome back to the show. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. Uh, how are you keeping for First of all, 
Thanks, Owen. Um, thanks for welcoming me on. Uh, yeah, keeping our keeping well, considering. Um, I'm hearing you describe the the best second half of the championship. Um, it's always not nice being on the the losing end of it. But uh, yeah, uh, disappointed to to lose out last weekend. But overall, um, you know, an enjoyable season from a Wexford perspective. Um, from a personal standpoint, um, just disappointed not to be looking forward to an All Ireland semi final. Yeah, I, I presume that drama bit, that the sort of excitement bit from a neutral perspective is something that creates more ecstasy for the winner and for the loser just makes it all the harder to take just being on the end of something that generally was this very very unpredictable thing that this roller coaster that went right to the death yeah for sure and um, that's the nature of hurling as we've seen in numerous games that you know a league can never be big enough um, and when a team gets a run in you and grabs momentum at the, the right time it, it's very difficult to, to stem that flow and Claire uh, grabbed that momentum at the right time for them and um, yeah we, we weren't able to, to stop it and uh, weren't able to close the game out which is disappointing from our perspective but um, I mean we have to learn from it really um, because we'll be in those situations again and, and learn how to close the game out but credit to Claire they, they stuck in the fight and um, you know they got the rub of the green um, towards the end of the game as well which allowed them to see it out so um, yeah there'll be a match for anyone now in the remainder of the championship can I just get a, a picture of what the, the last few days are like for you like I mean I, I presume there is this I'm not sure is it a temptation to kind of wallow in the defeat quite a lot um, like we're four days out now at, at this point how do you deal with it to ensure that you know that cliche about not letting the low moments allow you to get too low how do you ensure that actually happens in, in the aftermath of, of a defeat like that yeah well well, I'll always say when you're involved in the panel especially our panel you, you know you win together and you lose together and ultimately after the game we're all feeling the, the very same way um, very disappointed that we didn't win but at the same time um, you know proud of ourselves uh, that we put on a performance and put ourselves in a winning position so yeah the the ultimate aftermath of the game you know it, it's surrounded by the, the players and the backroom and the management that have um, you know worked so hard this year uh, enjoying each other's company uh, reminiscing on the year the highs and the lows and ultimately looking forward to, to 2023 and trying to put some of those wrongs to right and, and developing on the good work that we've done this year and uh, yeah, I suppose now looking forward, it's it's you know back to routine, back to work. Life goes on. Club Championship in Wexford starts next week, so we don't have too long to rest on our laurels before we put back on our club hats and uh, go uh, have a crack off each other next week. It was it was nearly the perfect hour as well, Matthew, wasn't it? Like just like probably five or six points up. Um, I think you you did a nice possession in defence, which lost the ball, and Claire got a point out, of it and kind of the rally start from there. But like with ten minutes ago, you must have been really believing he could do this. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, we're in a winning position. Um, you know, it was kind of point for point for a long spells. Claire were getting a little bit closer to us, but we were still keeping them at arm's length. Um but I think, you know, we, we had a couple of key injuries. Shane Reck went off, Damien Reck went off as well. Um, you know, guys that have been playing extremely well and keeping some of their key players relatively quiet. So that that had a, a bearing on it. And um yeah, look, we we had a couple of wides, a couple of missed frees, um, you know, you know, potentially um you know the the penalty obviously was a big thing too. And then was that, were you sour about that? Because like that 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 did look. I mean, that looked very very harsh. And like that that's exactly why that sin, that cynicism shouldn't be rewarded. I suppose. 
Yeah, I suppose, to be honest, I was at the other end of the pitch, mm. so I couldn't really see the detail of exactly what happened, but I've since seen replays and stuff. And, you know, um, I don't feel too aggrieved because, um, you know, if, if I was on the other end and, and, and Tony Kelly or Shane Hintonel were bearing down on goals, I'd be, <laughs> be looking to do the same thing, you know. But at the same time, I think referees and, and, and column lines, um, you know, they, they probably need a little bit more help there, uh, really. You know, there's officials there, there's there's linesmen and there's there's umpires and the benefit of TV as well. I think they need more support in an instance like that for such a big call because, you know, at that point in time, should we have um, received the penalty and scored it, you'd be expecting us to close it out and that may have been the end of the game. And, you know, you just want, the, you want fair decisions on both sides, but I don't think... Um, I think there's an awful lot of pressure on one man to make that decision in real time. So well, actually, it's hard for me to say it should or shouldn't be, you know? Yeah, it was, wh- what would you do? Because, like, I, I think um, I, I think criticism of, of referees in Hurland in particular is absolutely mad because, it's like, you're you're talking about a ball moving at that speed and the, the amount of work they have to do. Like, are you talking about a type of, a, like, a VAR situation for something like that or just more individuals making the calls? Um. I think before we get to, to, to VAR, it's really um, giving more power to officials that have seen it. Um, you know, umpires are looking at it. Linesmen look on as well. Um, I think that's the first step um, because I'm, I'm always hesitant, you know, where where does it stop at VAR then and what instances mm. could be used, you know what I mean? And then you, how, it's like how long is a piece of, piece of thread because there's several instances that if you analysed in slow motion with TV that look horrendous where, you know, in real time they're, they're, they're nothing incidents. Nothing happens so in slow motion that. like... Yeah. Mm. Um, but like you don't want that to, to slow the game down you don't want that to take away from it but ultimately it comes back to the big decisions in the match being get like being gotten right and no one feeling aggrieved so whatever the best way is to do that but I do definitely agree referees need more support and um, what that looks like I'm not I'm less clear like the specifics of that rule means that you can give the penalty in the black card if you're 25 metres away from the sideline and at this point it's made multiple times over the last little while that there is no line that indicates that you're 25 metres away. So mm-hmm. the referees are automatically guessing when it comes to that. As you say, then you've got like a, a situation where one of his umpires in that situation, nine times out of ten, will have a better view than the referee of what's going on. More powers to the other officials, an actual line where this thing should be defined. Like there are two pretty easy steps you'd have thought that that could be implemented before next season. Yeah, potentially, potentially. And, you know, ultimately, if, I, if I'm column lines, I don't want to be the one that grants that and then, you know, looks back on uh, replays afterwards and I got it wrong. And obviously, everyone saw the incident with, with James Ohm awarded the penalty um, previously. Mm. And, you know, the, the furore that came up after that. So obviously, referees have that in the back of their mind. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen a black car being given in this year's championship yet, mm. you know. So, there, there's obviously a reason and a, hesit- a reason for the hesitancy to to award it, so that means to me or indicates to me that referees don't feel confident giving making those decisions, which means that they need more support. So, whatever that looks like, whether that's you know indicating where the 25 meter begins or where it doesn't, or giving more ownership to uh, the additional um, officials there, the linesmen, the umpires, the fourth official potentially, or bringing in um, you know TV replays where where possible. That that's the road I'd be looking down. 
But um, I guess that that's for the powers that be to decide. Um, but I think there's enough evidence there to suggest that there's more support needed. I think, like in fairness, with like the Thaw and Neil, which has become like a, a almost like an accepted part overnight of 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 Gaelic games. That like you know, and and it's it's definitely for the better. Like I think if you did have a situation where you could challenge one or two calls in a game, and as you say, like match, you don't want everything to be. You don't want, like, where do you stop? But if you could limit it to an extent that Wexford can challenge that, that's an open and shut case straight away. And that changes. And it, does, it adds to the drama as well for everyone watching. It's like, well, you know, what's going to happen here? This game could swing again. But, like, uh, you know, ultimately, you'd, you'd have to say this was an open and shut case if you did one one replay of it. Like, And Wexford are very hard done by. And, you know, it could be the difference in winning All-Ireland or not. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, you see it in other sports. I think NFL and the NBA have the opportunity for managers to challenge calls. So, mm. yeah, that's that's another other way of looking at it. But, yeah, like, as I come back to it, ultimately you want the, the decision uh, got the decisions get gotten right at the key moments of the championship. And, you know, as you get further into the championship, the level of tension gets up and the pressure increases and, you know, that piles onto referees too. So we need to be able to enable them to make these calls correctly because then, you know, myself as a player and teams aren't feeling hard done by. And, uh, you know, we're potentially walking into an All-Ireland semi-final. But look, to be honest, the you can get bogged down the penalty. Like before that, we were in a winning position. It shouldn't have come down to that. But looking back now, yes, it's an opportunity to, to gain back momentum. And uh, it's one that we'd be disappointed with. But, you know, it, it is what it is. We're, we're not going to, you're not going to sit here going, we should be looking at an all in semi-final because we had opportunities before that too. Yeah, can I just ask then, uh, Matthew, the, the, the first hour of the game, as you say, a couple of the defenders go off at, at really key moments. So if, if you take the, the first 57 minutes of the game in particular, th- does that suggest to you that the game plan that you had for Clare worked? Yeah, well, we, you know, we, we had obviously prepared very well for Clare and we're very familiar with them over the last few years. And, you know, we know who their major players are that we need to to try um keep quieter if possible. And then, you know, you probably would have seen this year with Wexford how we've, we've developed our game to be more varied in terms of how we where we work the ball out, but also have a more direct approach. And we've got, you know, really, really good ball winners in Conor McDonald and Lee Chain and Roy O'Connor up front that we want to get as much ball as possible to, to cause damage. And in the first half, especially, I think we did that. Obviously, the early goals settled us. Um, and then, you know, Claire had a, had a quiet start with a few missed frees and missed opportunities. But the game kind of settled into an ebb and flow then. And um, early second half, obviously, the two goals and, and getting seven or eight points up, you know, we were probably uh, in a position where we want to be with 10 minutes to go rather than 20, 25 minutes to go. Um, mm. But Claire were always going to have their purple patch you know, good teams, you can't keep them out of the game for 70 minutes. And um, you saw that in terms of how Shane O'Donnell and Tony Kelly came into it in the last 10 minutes. Um, their big players managed to, to, to get get on possession and get key scores. And, you know, when we, we wanted to push, we, you know, the bodies, um, obviously we had fresh legs in, but it takes a while for subs to sometimes make an impact. And, you know, ultimately, you know, mistakes happen. And, and the goal was really the, the, nail, the nail in the coffin for us. Um, and even at that, with the six minutes additional time, we were trying to claw back and claw back, but but Claire saw it out. So, yeah, I think tactically, I thought we were were where we needed to be. Um, I just think we 
you know, the last 10, 15 minutes, he looked back with regrets on how we could have slowed the game down and potentially killed it a bit quicker and uh, slowed Clare's momentum when they got on top. Uh, that'd be the bit that I'd be looking to improve on how, next year. How would you compare the two provinces? Like, it's kind of a bit like um, when the Irish are scored Cheltenham, like, how do you compare the two countries? Because Leinster, like, I mean, the Leinster final before the Munster final looked like two different sports, really, this year. I was at the Leinster final, I thought, like... I just thought the standard was 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 fairly inferior to what followed, but then you see Wexford like really push Clare very close, and like you were obviously um, you know you were fairly closely matched with Galway and Kilkenny and Leinster in the championship this year in results and the way he played. Do you, do you feel that Munster is that bit stronger match, or do you, would you give sort of Galway and Kilkenny a chance? Yeah, so like I think they're obviously two different styles of hurling. You look at Munster every year and, you know, it's 35 points versus 34, 33 versus 32. So it's very high score and free flow and hurling. And you know, that's the style there. Wexford is is probably more a little bit more defensive. Um, and sometimes that can look like a lower, lower quality um, from a from a neutral's perspective. But I think you see the clashes then when when the likes of us play Clare and, and Galway play Cork and in that how, how we match up. Um, so I think if you're looking forward to, to the semi-finals, um, you know Clare Limerick obviously look like the two standout teams um, from the Munster final uh, and within the Munster Championship. But I would definitely be giving Kilkenny and Galway a, a big shout as well because you know they can raise their game and we've seen that previously in All Ireland semi-finals and um, you know in a one-off game with an, with an All Ireland final on the line, um, you'd be hoping that each team is going to absolutely empty it. Um, Kenny, obviously everyone would have written them off going into a Leinster final and they still managed to find enough to, to get over Galway. I think that they'll probably go in as underdogs versus Clare, um, given that you know Clare will expect not to be um will be, expect to be at a higher standard than they were in the first half against us. Um because obviously we've given them a rattle and that would be a scare for them. But I think Kenny will be right there. Uh Limerick look they look like the team to beat. Claire threw everything in the kitchen sink at them and they, they still managed to persevere and get over the line. Um, I think all will be under pressure. But in saying that, you know, Henry Sefflin will have those guys well up for it. And they've got big game players there in the likes of Connor Whelan and Park Mannion and Carl Mannion that if they get a run and, and you know, can, can take Limerick by su- surprise, I can see them right in that too. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I anticipate two um, tight semi finals. Um, I'm not going to say Limerick and Clare are going to be an all-in final because you can be sure that Galway and Kilkenny will have that up in their dressing room when, we, when we're playing them next I year. I think you so. can read into that as you will anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do give them a big shout. I won't be one bit surprised if I see Leinster teams getting over um, Limerick Clare in an all-in final too. The, the style of play thing is, is really interesting that you mentioned there and it felt from the outside looking in that Dara Egan came in this year, didn't try to overhaul your style didn't try and uh, I guess try and take you in a whole new direction but it felt he, he moved you in a slightly new direction as if it was like he took Davies ideas and just sort of built on them this year is, is that what the reality was does this feel like this year was kind of like a staging post towards a new direction or or did this year kind of feel like close to the finished product on a tactical level no, I definitely think that we've made strides, and and yeah, credit to Dara. To be fair, he, he's come in and he's he's built on all the good work that Davy's done for us. You know, Davy's been there for five years, and we we've developed a lot under him. Um, but for us, it's really about trying to add layers to our game. And um, I think Dara's, you know, you know, he's identified what we're good at. Um, you know, we're good at running the ball out. We're good off the shoulder, but he's added that more direct style as well that we can play too, which you know, you know. 
proved beneficial against Clare and some other teams this year too. So I do think that tactically and our style of play has developed to play more to our strengths and uh, we're able to mix and match it depending on what way we play the opposition. But yeah, I have to say Dara was a breath of fresh air coming in. Um, obviously a different style of manager to, to Davey, but there's been a really, really good buzz around the setup the entire year. He's brought in a lot of new guys as well, under 20s and, and developed those guys, got them involved with us. And there's project work, you know, in terms of getting them to where they need to get to, to contribute more. But uh, it's been a very enjoyable dressing room and, and panel to be a part of this year. So um, obviously I've been in and around it for a while now, but um, albeit not getting where we wanted to get and, and with no silverware, I did enjoy the year and I definitely think it, it, we're looking in a strong and healthy position to 2023 as well. Like I think there was only Cork and Galway used more players than Wexford did in the league this year. So there was definitely that implementation of, of new players from the outset. There was also new faces off the pitch as well, Matthew, when it came to the likes of Billy Walsh and Gordon Darcy being brought into the camp. What were their roles this season? Yeah, um, I suppose we, we wouldn't have seen, I uh, wouldn't have had a huge amount of face-to-face time with, with Billy and Gordon, but they'd be working more directly with the, the backroom team um, as the high-performance team to, I suppose, put the process in place in order for us to, to thrive. Um, Gordon would be more so on team culture and Billy would be more on, you know, performance mindset. And uh, that's kind of the remit of them. But, you know, when you have guys like that that have, you know, competed and, and achieved at the highest level in their fields, uh, it's only beneficial to us. And you're hoping to get more um, more get more face-to-face time with them for the 2023 season as well. So when um, Gordon Darcy is chatting, you'd like to see have one-on-one conversations with any of the players or, or is this mostly just stuff with the, the backroom team, as you say there? Like, do, do you have a, a conversation with, with Gordon at some point during the season? It's majority will be directly with the backroom okay. and the BBC the messages there to us. So it wouldn't be on a one-on-one basis with us. Um, he has addressed us once or twice as a group, but primarily with the backroom. How receptive is the group to, to different ideas like that from a rugby background, from a from a boxing background? Although two fellas who would uh, have been hugely interested in hurling as, as young fellas, like is it a dressing room that's that is very open to, to new ideas and new voices coming in and uh, trying to impart some sort of wisdom? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think overall the panel is in a place where, you know, we, we're willing to look to different areas in order to learn different things to to improve us as a squad. Guys are fairly open minded that way and willing to learn. Um, you know, the guys are very coachable. And obviously, look, Gordon and Billy are, are steeped in Wexford history, so um, there's obviously massive respect there in terms of what they've done in their given field and. They understand hurling as well, so it's not as if they're coming in this uh, completely new to it. And um, you know, they're they're aware of um, us as players and have engaged with us previously. And there's a personal relationship there, so guys were already open to it. So as I said, you know, if there's anyone that's willing to contribute to move us in the right direction, uh, players will be receptive. And I think Dar is um, in the, in the same boat in terms of what he brings as a backroom team too. Just one other thing I wanted to uh, get your perspective on from last weekend was the the whole build-up to Wexford versus Clare was, I guess, weighted towards this conversation around the, the suspensions of, of the Clare lads. I guess that the, the guys being suspended at first, getting off the hook eventually. When you're having conversations in the build-up to the Clare game, are you talking about that? And then does the overturning of it actually change the conversations that you're having in the build-up? From my perspective, I kind of tune out, to be honest. Um, You know, in preparation for games, I I control what media I consume because you don't want other narratives getting in your head as you're preparing for a game. Ultimately, we're preparing for Clare's best uh, 15 with plans in place, whether whether Peter Duggan or or Rory Hickey were going to play or not. Um, And, you know, that 
we were well prepared either way. And ultimately, it's not for us to decide. It's not our decision. So we'll deal with whatever's there. But, you know, as uh, we want to play the best player team there and want to overcome them, we, we would never want to see other other players suspended. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't have been a big bone of contention for us in the in the lead up to it. We would have been just focusing on ourselves and preparing for the best clear, clear team to be there because whoever's going to replace those guys are going to be equally as challenging. So um, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have um, been that high up in our conversations. Do you feel you're far off, match? I think you're 31 this year, is it like? So you're kind of obviously um, at the point in your career where I guess you, uh, you're you hoping for success in the, in the near future. Do you, do you feel you are far off in terms of um, going very close next year or the year after? I don't think we're too far off. Um, you know, I think you look at the, the season overall, um, ultimately no silverware, which is disappointing. Uh, the league gets to the last four, Um Progressive used a lot of players as you mentioned and, and got to the knockout stage the last four there. Disappointed not to be in a Leinster final, um, which is ultimately down to us. It's our own fault. Um, given the the Westmead result mm. and, and Dublin beating us, but obviously getting over Kilkenny shows that and drawing with Galway shows are right there. So we're disappointed not to be able to compete for that. And um, you know, realistically we should have been closing the game out from the position we were in last weekend. So that's disappointing. But with the power of the group and you know the development that's going on in the background, we have new players coming through there as well. Oshin Foley and Connor Devitt making championship debuts this year, Connor Hearn as well, and some other guys coming in like Connor Flood and Charlie McGuckin. You know, there's new players in this panel that have only got first taste of action this year that are going to bring us on. Um but yeah, I don't think we're too far off. And look, yeah, you mentioned them thirty thirty one, but uh you know, as I said, it's one of the more enjoyable years I've had. And um, I think there's a lot of guys around my age within our squad that, that feel similar. So I think we're we're well positioned to give it another rattle next year. And, you know, teams, teams uh, ebb and flow, they, they get better and they some guys will go away. So we'll have to see what way it lands uh, in 2023. But I don't think we're too far off, being honest. What were those few days like after the Westmead result, actually, Matthew? Because I know you very sensibly try and tune out all sorts of social media and media during the season, but um, I would imagine it wasn't... Uh, it, it was pretty poisonous, to be fair, in, in terms of what, what you were seeing on social media with regards to the, the Westmead draw. Was that manifest at all in, in your day-to-day life in, in the days afterwards? Uh, no, not my day-to-day life. I don't really let that that sort of thing fazes me anymore um, with the benefit of experience but mm. you know you know yourself you're, you're never as good when as you think you are when you win you're never as bad as, as they say you are when you lose and, and I always remember that phrase with instances like that ultimately you know three points up we had 21 wides against Westmead but hurling as you know if you leave a team in with a shout any any high ball can happen and the goal can the goal can come off it uh, if you leave a team in the melting pot there at the very end of the game and ultimately we got caught and, and that's on us uh, disappointing but obviously we knew as a team that we we it wasn't good enough um, and I thought that we put that wrong to right against Kilkenny to show 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 I suppose Ireland what we're about um, but yeah that that level of consistency and ensuring that we don't slip up in those instances is obviously an area for improvement next year as well. It it, it would be um, obviously like you know Wexford don't want to be drawn against Westmead but like um, just reflecting on that time I think like what that what that did for Westmead hurling and that, like you look at Antrim leading Cork at half time and. Um, how would you match it? It's something I, I definitely feel that the, the GEA needs to put a huge effort into is promoting hurling because it's like for a sport that is arguably the greatest field sport in the world, like it's it's just so limited in terms of its scope across the 32 counties. Which I think is really something that 
it shouldn't be the case because like anyone who goes to a hurling game whether they've never seen a game before would be amazed by it and I know you, you don't want to be drawn to Westmead but I, I, I think there's a, that gives a lot of heart to counties like Westmead as well um, you saw it was a Mac Nicholas who got the goal and he's been soldiering with them for so long how would you kind of promote the spread of hurling um, across Ireland because as I say I, I just feel like when you have five or six counties every year out of 32 like there's something alright yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. And, um, you know, I've played long enough when Wexford were at, at that level where we were knocking on the door for Division 1 and, and yo-yoing up and down from the Division 2 to Division 1. And that doesn't benefit any teams trying to make the jump. And to be fair, Westmead have put on some, some really good performances this year um, under Joe Fortune. And they're, they're well capable of um, competing at that level, but it takes more than one year to bridge a gap to where mm. the top teams are at. So I think in previous years, you you find that in Leinster specifically, the bottom team gets relegated, a new team comes up next year, they go down and a new team comes back up. And that's not serving any purpose to the, the longer term development of Ireland in those counties. And if you're a player within that instance, you're, you're, you're asking yourself, what's the point? So, you know, I think we need to create more opportunities for longer term sustainable um, development for these counties to bring them to a level where they can compete. Uh, with the top teams it's going to take time and there needs to be an acknowledgement that it's not a one or two year fix but the betterment of hurling is the priority here mm. so instances where you know the likes of Kerry enter a Munster Championship you expand the, the provincials to incorporate an awfully a Westmead and Antrim to allow these teams more games against the highest um, highest level opposition which will ultimately bring them on and is you know, that is the that key, not what we all is that the key like I, playing playing better teams more often yeah, hundred um, percent. I think that's the the only way to to develop themselves because how do you, how do you know where you're at if you're not testing yourself consistently? And you know if you're a player within those team teams, knowing that you're going to be coming up against Division One opposition consistently, you understand you have to raise your standards, and you know that that leads to development and learning and. Um, you know, coaches in those instances as well. It comes back to that. Highest level coaches will want to be, you know, coaching at the top level. With more opportunities to do that means the level of coaching can increase and then that filters back into the the underage development where players within those squads know that they've got a chance to play against the top players in the game and, and that's more aspirational for them. And ultimately, it's where we want all hurling to go. Like, you know, you want the future of hurling to be um, as you said, more widespread throughout the country rather than in the pockets it currently is. So I think that there, there's work there still to be done. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, like, obviously, you played Kerry as well as Westmead this year. It wasn't uh, a complete hammering uh, for, for Kerry that afternoon in, in Tralee. So th- there is a sense that maybe the gap is closing between the, the elite few counties and the chasing pack. It's just about how you capitalise on that and it sounds Matty that you wouldn't be overly against the idea of maybe expanding to provincials just a little bit even though it might take from the week in week out nature of the, the chaotic elitism that we've seen over the last couple of years which has given us brilliant games so like that was me like that was one of the highlights of the championship for, for so many people it's know true that. and it wasn't it wasn't on television it wasn't live on TV because no, nobody really expected it that we are very focused on the, the heavyweight clashes which, which are great but it sounds like that you, you would be in favour of giving this thing a chance to give more underdogs an opportunity to play the top teams in the championship yeah yeah I, I would be in favour of it I think um, more opportunities to the, the developing teams um, can only be beneficial for hurling in the longer term for sure so I don't know what that looks like or, or what that means structure wise um, but I think if you ask most players you know they, they would like to see the game expanded um, 
and it's probably bodes well for sustainability of the game in the future as well so um, yeah as I said there's more work to be done there I think Just one last thing before we let you go um, how are you feeling about the, the split season in general Matthew is it it's something that you're looking forward to is it, is it good to, to be finished up early in the year or, or how do you think this thing will go it's definitely not good to be finished up early in the year. Yeah. On. Um, <laughs> from the start, um, I obviously want to want to extend the intercounty team as a season as long as I could. But to be honest, the, the split season this is the first full year of it. So um, you know, I think there's obviously the the first instance for people when they're looking at it going, God, it's very early to for intercounty to be finished. But th- this is the plan, and I think we, you know, with any change, people are 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 a bit uh, sceptical about it but for me the busy nature of the games coming thick and fast are absolutely brilliant um, you're not you're not getting flogged in midweek um, you know there's obviously the block of pre-season at the start of the year but then it's game in game out and as players that's what you want and I think it kind of contributed to why I, I felt it was such an enjoyable year and if you ask most players they're, they're probably in the same boat in terms of they want to, to be playing more matches and you know uh, training less and that was an ask from players previously so from that perspective really really positive really really enjoyable um, and I think from a club perspective if I put my club hat on you know the, my team that I'm going back to play with now they, they knew that they're going to be playing around around uh, end of June July potentially end of July so that gives them a window opportunity where they know they need to be ready for so they can go on holidays before that they can do whatever they want to do um, while the intercounty season is on uh, rather than having to prepare for a couple of games in April then you know a couple of months off and then prepare for another few games so I think it, it'll be more sustainable and um, you know enjoyable for both sets inter-county and, and club players moving forward so um, with any change it takes a bit of a bedding in period but so far so so far so good from my perspective Are you back out with the club this weekend? Not this weekend next Tuesday is the, is the first round so uh, gearing up for that I've, uh, I think a challenge game now on Friday so I'll uh, link in with the guys now and see what they're they're looking like Right. It means you can go wine tasting on Sunday in Dublin like the rest of us. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Ward's looking for a few tag-alongs if you're interested. Is that an awful invitation? Johnny, Abs- absolutely, Matthew. I, I think we have a couple of mutual friends. I'll get on to them there and get your number. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Uh, um, Matthew, great, great stuff. Thanks, Billy, for being with us this morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, speak to you soon. Cheers. That's uh, Matthew O'Hanlon uh, of the Wexford Hurlers on the line. It is uh, 8.18. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, we're chatting to Paul, Beale, Paul, Paul Behan next. Uh, he is uh, in charge of this massive conference that's coming to Dundalk on Saturday week uh, with regards to retro football jerseys. So if retro football jerseys is your thing, you want to hang along for this chat. During the app right there, you're going to hear a clip from episode 23 of the football pod as Paddy James and Tommy look ahead to the quarterfinals in football and the football pod is in partnership with AIB proud sponsors of the GEA Senior Football Championship you can check out the hashtag the toughest for more see you back after these OTB AM Alright you're welcome back it is 21 minutes past 8 you're here on OTB AM it's Owen and Johnny Ward with you right away through until 10 o'clock and if you're into retro football kits we have the perfect event for you KitCon Era Ireland's first Kit Conference is coming to the Imperial Hotel Dundalk on Saturday, July the 2nd. That's Saturday week. There will be spectacular displays of football shirts, retro and new from all over the world and indeed some closer to home. Ireland soccer shirts will be the main attraction with his exhibition of iconic shirts from some of Ireland's most famous matches. Tickets are only €12 and the price includes entry fee, walking tour, entry to kit discussions and a raffle ticket as well. So you can keep an eye on our social channels, uh, on the social channels, sorry, of KitCon Era for more. So that's at KitCon Era 
for more details on social media. And to tell us more about this event and talk through some of the retro jerseys, we're joined by uh, Paul Behan, who is the founder of Football Kitbox. Uh, Paul, you're very welcome to the show. How are you getting on? Hi, guys. Good morning. How are you? Uh, tell us a little bit about this event in Dundalk. Yeah, so it's a kiss extravaganza, first type of uh, event of its kind in Ireland, to the best of my knowledge. And we're going to have all the collections that are in people's attics and wardrobes up and down the country, uh, going to bring them out and show them off. Uh, we have kit experts who are going to be talking a little bit more, uh, delving down deeper into the um, behind the scenes about the industry. Uh, General Joe Soaps who are into it. Uh, some vendors there if you want to pick up retro jerseys for yourself and uh, extra special little uh, comedy event as well which is all on top secret at the moment but it's guaranteed to be a really really interesting event of football jerseys are your thing top secret comedy event at uh, football to... retro who could it be, yeah, be Johnny I'm, I'm thinking that pretty much sort of characters but right. who knows I mean I, yeah, I, I was... you might be on the right lines there yeah yeah. yeah well if, if, if that were the case that's uh, I, I do think uh, I think you featured on LOI Central the podcast this week as well do you uh, I am trying to get the word out there, yeah. So I might be uh, popping up in a few different places. All right, yeah. It, it's it's a great idea because like I I'm, I'm minded the first football jersey I got. It was a Liverpool away jersey, and uh, it was twenty six pounds at the time. Wow, which pretty pricey. Fairness, it probably was pricey, but time. but I remember so going from Mount Bellew to my home, which is six or seven miles. I think I stopped at three of my mates' houses to show it off, and. Like I, I was the proud. I was so proud to have this away Liverpool jersey. The cars were green with the three stripes, and I'd say like there are a lot of people who like it's, it's an awful lot of nostalgia to this. Like whereas that yeah. that jersey that means more to you, like the the first goal United jersey I got or that first away Liverpool jersey. And I guess it'll be a nostalgia overload as well. Yeah, well, the beauty about kick connecting is that everybody has their own particular uh, slant on it. So some people are into the match worn stuff. Some people are into the. Uh, international some people are into the south american rare stuff some people are just into the irish uh stuff there's huge scope for it and it's um going through a bit of a renaissance in the last couple of years uh lockdown sort of helped it it was a, a community that grew online at the time uh people were looking for um different positives to latch on to maybe and uh, an awful lot of collectors thought they were anoraks and nerds who were on their own sitting at home and when these online communities built, we realised that there's actually more of us out there. <laughs> so what have you got uh, in the room with you there? Like clearly for any of our uh, radio listeners, uh, we've got Paul in what looks like a massive closet of uh, classic football <laughs> kit. So is there any couple you want to show us this morning? Yeah, I have a few uh, our iconic Ireland shirts there because we have Eddie O'Mahony at the event. Uh, he has the most iconic jerseys that are out there. He has. He's going to bring uh, Ray Houghton's jersey from Stuttgart uh, oh. along to the event and Richard Dunn's with the number five scrawled on it and um, a few iconic shirts through the year. So I thought I might uh, bring you on a little story if you let me. Amazing, uh, through, yeah. Through, through my own Irish experience and, and everybody has a different um, jersey that they resonate with from their childhood or from seminal events in Irish football history, I guess, you know. Yeah, for sure. So starting off with the easiest one, uh, when the whole country came to a standstill and uh, a 12-year-old Paul uh, ran out of the house screaming when David O'Leary uh, managed to put the penalty away. Quite a simple jersey, but it will go down in time. And relatively hard to get, you know. Everybody knows it. They're instantly recognisable. 
lovely little uh, chevrons, uh, shiny chevrons in the jacquard all over it. Simple color and it's it's what it represents for most people. So it's probably most people's favorite Irish shirt. Can you still pick those up these days? Like, are, like are, they, are they easy to get or...? Yeah, I, I mean, Paul's the man to ask, isn't he? <laughs> that's, who, that's who I just asked. <laughs> Are they well, you were looking at me. I mean, you were looking at me. I was like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, we've got a lot of things in, in, in this uh, closet here, so we've a lot of questions to ask. Yeah, you, you can still pick them up, but they will be, they will, they are getting more and more pricey. But yeah, yeah they are still available if you, if you go looking for them. And um, there is a lot of counterfeit fakes out there as well. So be careful of that, mm. you know, and uh but no, they are available if that's something that you want to latch onto and you're in nostalgia, you know, some people will pay pay the money for it, you know. And they hold their value, especially in the last few years, you know, the price of football retro football shirts has, has increased. It's um it's better than Bitcoin now. Yeah, mm. that's for sure. Uh, so <laughs> what else have you got there, Paul? Yeah, well then we uh jump forward to ninety three, um Adidas uh equipment. This is a really popular one by collectors and this has the three Adidas stripes so this would have been around the time Paul I got that Liverpool away jersey it's, it's almost exactly the same style did you have three stripes here three stripes but stripes I, I think they were smaller but I, I think it was uh, it was so oversized on me I don't even know the, the difference anymore but it was those three stripes that was so niche at the time so you're talking like yeah, early 90s yeah, that would have been yeah in around 92 and 93 that was it was a kind of a turquoise sort of a green wasn't mm, it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really popular, yeah, at the time. Because it was a bold move for Adidas, it was a whole new um, slant, uh, you know, uh, after their um, iconic West Germany one. This was another uh, way of Adidas sort of cementing their brand onto the jerseys. Uh, it was a really challenging campaign as well. I don't know uh, how, how old or young your listeners are, but we had Spain, Denmark, Northern Ireland in the group. You know, it was a tough, tough group. And obviously we uh, had to, do the job in Windsor Park. We were wearing the away one of this, which is just the white with the green stripes. Okay. Um, but not many people know that you know we finished we finished on equal points, didn't we? It was a, and goals difference, mm. so it was only goals scored that we actually pipped um, Denmark to to second place in the group. So we only came through with the skin of our teeth, and um, yeah. That's a that's a particular favourite of mine. Yeah, Billy Bingham's deaths the other day would have brought back an awful lot of memories of that night. And it's funny, like I think uh, when you read an obituary, uh, you probably get a slightly flattering view of somebody because certainly in Ireland we have a very nice way of of talking about people. But uh, when they pass away, but uh, Billy Bingham actually seemed like a better bloke than he seemed at the time. Because do you remember that Paul? It was like that was. I mean, that that wasn't obviously the jersey we wore that night, but that was a hell of a time. I mean, that that like, I don't think we'll ever have a game like that again. Yeah, it was a really strange time, I suppose, in Irish history and uh, you know Irish football history. And I, I remember reading some uh, reports afterwards that the players maybe been afraid, and some mm. players happened to be explained what was going on. The vitriol in the ground. Uh, we weren't allowed. There was no away fans allowed, mm. but lots of them were sneaking in and uh, finding different ways to get in there. And it was. Uh, Highly, highly charged event. Yeah, yeah. I don't think people kind of realise, you know, how 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 um, what it was like at yeah. the time. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that is the nineteen ninety three kit, and uh, there's obviously a, an away version of that as well. Uh, what's next up, Paul? Are we going chronologically yeah. here through the years? Yeah, pretty well. Just to maybe seminal moments in Irish football history that people might resonate with. That's the whole idea mm. of shirts. They mean different things for different people, I guess. Uh, for me, uh, USA 94, 
Um, I did have the home one, but it was too big, so I actually gave it to another collector. The away one, probably one of my favourite ever um, Ireland shirts. Um, John Aldridge uh, having a go at That's the right. yellow hat man is uh, is probably my favourite memory of it. Uh, I was 16. I was in um, Greece, Crete at the time, and it was a huge community there of Irish people that were just... Uh, jam-packed into this bar watching this event uh, that was we, we thought it was going to be Italian idea, I guess all over again uh, amazing amazing World Cup and this shirt is um, again one of the most popular white shirt beautiful jacquard the FAI logo all the way through the material little fade in the stripes and again Adidas just taken it I think to a new level and the World Cup meant so much to people of all ages, you know, especially the win over Italy. And if if it wasn't that hot in Orlando, things could have been different. Yeah, really. for sure. Uh, what's next? Uh, not really synonymous with like great Irish football, but probably two of my favourite ever shirts. The controversial orange one that we all know about the INLA stories and having a Macedonia. And uh, I won't go into too much detail, but that one is really, really, really sought after. And then the home version of it always remembers, always reminds me of um, Keith O'Neill and, you know, mm. these players that we tend to kind of forget, you know. But really, really difficult qualifying uh, yeah. campaign. And didn't we, uh, Belgium. Oh yeah, playoff, mm. wasn't it? So, we, we were we were kind of in a transitional mode post Jack at that stage. Yeah, it's it's like I mean every campaign is either excruciating around that time or mm. glorious, mm. and um, yeah, yeah, that was her yeah, game, yeah. The, the former. Uh, so we've got a couple more as well, Paul. Yeah, well, two thousand and two. Then uh, my first born was as a baby, so I, and it was the first thing in the morning. Do you remember? It was like eight o'clock in the morning. The mm. matches were. Kevin Kilban comes to mind straight away. Kevin Caban, Damien Duff for me, um, just because he had such a, a a good World Cup, and it was made famous this shirt by um, some dude in chinos and people of Tokyo. Did you see that? Post? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the uh, Tokyo Fashion yeah, Week or something. Really, really strange time. Obviously, you've done Saipan a few a while ago. There, what the happened? Town, so we won't go down there. <laughs> not at this hour of the morning. Um, but I thought Robbie Keane and, and Damien Duff for me, um, <clears throat> just two bright young Irish players that took their game to a new level with everything happening around them. That's the strong memory for me there. And um, yeah, that, that sure brings mixed mixed reactions, let's say. Paul, can I ask you about a jersey behind you there? It's just over your head. It's got like a turquoise, blue, yellow, purple sleeve, uh, a white end to the sleeve. Yeah. Uh, what, what what jersey is that? Wow! Ah, this is VFL uh, Bosham nineteen ninety two to ninety three home shirt. Obviously, Zavich on the back and signed. So it's his actual match worn shirt. Um, that is a mad jersey. That's class. Yeah. yeah, this is an embroidered. Uh, crest on our uh, embroidered crest embroidered sponsor embroidered here and um really unusual shirt really the 90s i suppose were the pinnacle for um shirts they don't really make them like them anymore they were you know high quality beautiful design in them they're a little bit more mass produced a lot of them now so uh i don't know if the shirts that we have today will last 
30 years or 40 years like those ones. For a moment there I felt like I was just kind of getting fitted for a suit or something. It's just like Paul just says as well, how would this, how would this fit you? Yeah. But on that note, Paul, this is <laughs> one of my biggest bugbearers in modern sport and in football. What is the point of a jersey if you're going to change it every bloody year? If you don't change the sponsor or you don't change the, the, the manufacturer of the jersey, like, and look, you look at bows, right? So bows are like notionally one of the most kind of left-leaning socialist clubs and they're doing great work in community which they are yeah, they brought out yet another jersey it was basically honouring a bloody bus like so like how can you keep bringing out jerseys what's the point saying oh this is a lovely jersey well if it's that lovely why are you replacing it next year I mean save the jersey for a couple of years give it some sort of a legacy yeah but then we'd have nothing to collect We've loads to collect. I mean, like, if you, I can't remember, like, if you're a Liverpool fan, how many jerseys can you remember since the one I'm talking about? If they change it every year, can you, like, and it's, it's not affordable either for a lot of people anymore. So it's like, what is the point of changing the jersey? Because then it doesn't have any sort of a legacy, I feel. Yeah, there is um, definitely, you know, a couple of different factions at the moment, and there is a lot of uh, overproducing, uh, certainly from clubs. And uh, there was the case maybe 20 years ago in the Premier League where you had to keep shirts on a two year cycle. So that, uh, there is clamours mm. to, to bring that back as well, especially, you know, to bring the cost down. But I suppose it's a cash cow for most of the clubs for for the League of Ireland clubs now um, you can't really get jerseys from the last 20 or 30 years because they never really produced mm. many of them whereas now Galway United's jersey this year has been their greatest ever selling home kit uh, Bows in the last few years are selling kits all over the world now um, Shells now are starting to sell uh, kits in China and Japan off the back of uh, their new management uh, appointment so I, I, I guess there's, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I can see it from the consumer's point of view, but you don't, you don't have to buy them. I guess <laughs> there is a huge surge in, in the counterfeit market as well, mm. which is kind of pulling against that because people are resentful maybe of paying high prices every year, and that's why there's been an upsurge in in, um, in cheap re- reproductions coming from China as well. So. There is a case of some of the bigger Premier clubs, Premier League clubs, might be shooting themselves in the foot. You know, it was pointed out to me yesterday. Sorry, that uh, like not not every new kit has uh, some of those proceeds going to uh, going to charity. You know, I mean, like what is it, ten percent of the the Bulls jerseys going to LGBT Ireland? And yeah, well, well, there's a kind of there's a funny story to this because they've been drawn against Finn Harps. <laughs> Finn Harps wear blue, right? So the Bose jersey is blue. So if they lose to Finn Harps, in theory, and I presume Finn Harps aren't going to change their jersey, you know, they may never get to wear this jersey. But the, it was made, it was a point made to me yesterday by, admittedly, a, a non-Bose fan. He's like, if you're all about sustainability at Bose, which they, in theory they are, they're like, they have a climate officer, I think, and all that, how are you bringing out another football jersey? I mean, it just doesn't, you, there's no need whatsoever for this jersey. And fair enough, the 10%, but like, come on, I mean, 10%. And like, it, it I don't know. The Bob Marley thing was class. This to me is just—it's—it's a, it's a little—it's a step too far. Okay, so that—that's the line. But is Bob. it a case yeah. that you don't—you don't like the style of it? Is that what impairs your judgment? I mean, the home jersey is probably one of the best. It's a gorgeous jersey. Time, yeah, but like, why—why why do you need to bring out a, a one-off jersey um, that looks like a seat in Dublin bus with you know, and the LGBT thing? Like, I don't know. Fair enough, but like, it's—it's—it's it's publicity. Let's and it's capitalism as well, in my view. That's what it is. And Bose—they—they're they're in danger. Of going a step too far on this stuff yeah. but the broader point is don't be bringing out a jersey every year I, I, I really really annoys me because like first of all what, if, it's a, if it's that nice a jersey why don't you honour it 
Yeah, I think it's a class jersey, to be honest. Which, the, 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 the Dunbus, yeah, yeah, it's, it's each their own. Like, I, I don't have a strong opinion on it, but like, I mean, anyway, yeah. I think, I think it's nice. And like, I mean, as I say, it's like, if, like, I, I know that they kind of play up the whole social, um, aspect of the club, but not every club is giving 10% of, uh, jersey sales to a charity or to some sort of organization that, that does positive work. So, I'm not sure. I think that, I think at least there is that there's some attempts to try and be consistent with their values a little bit. I don't know, like people who hate bows, people who love bows, probably have. I very think they're great in general. I think like they they, they genuinely do stuff in the community. I just think this is uh, excessive. Um, where were we, Paul? <laughs> we uh, yeah, we were. We, talk- we want to talk about this. I know uh, <laughs> most people, most fans, wouldn't want to talk about this because 2012. Um, Good actually, times. Actually, the most successful ever Irish. Shirt, the Carling, sh- Cup, uh-huh. Carling Cup of Nations oh, yeah. champions, two thousand and eleven, is the one I'm wearing. All oh, right, okay. What a time to be alive! What <laughs> a time up, to up be there alive with the Icelandic alive. Triangular Tournament as some of Ireland's greatest moments. Do you have actually? Do you have the one from sort of the eighties with the, the shamrock, the real old school O'Neill's one? No, I don't. Uh, the nineteen ninety one is the is the earliest. Uh, that I have. Well, that's disappointing. Have the, the, the 80s ones yet. Not yet. Yeah. I'm working on it. Working on it. Because they there, must there be... Will be... There will be uh, some of them at KitCon era as well. Like So if you're into the really retro stuff, that, that's the place. To What's the about. most like a jersey would go for? Uh, Maradona's one w- in, from 1986 went for 7 million there. A few... Uh, oh, yeah. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, that... That's so that's that's the upper bar, yeah. <laughs> yeah I would have thought so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but a nineteen eighties, a nineteen eighties Ireland church, you're probably looking at setting yourself back a few hundred euros. Okay, yeah. that's alright. I'm sure when Peter Shilton sells his, it'll go for eight million pounds, or he won't stop until it actually gets bought for <laughs> for such a price. So next Saturday week is in Dundalk. Uh, how do people find out more details about this, Paul? Yeah, all the social channels at KitCon Era and uh, Instagram and Twitter are probably the two most uh, popular ones. Um, all the information is there. Uh, kids and seniors are free, so it's a great day out for the family. If you're a passing fan, you're going to have some of the iconic Irish shirts that, you know, form part of your memory. So come and see them in the flesh. And if you're an ardent collector, there's going to be loads of stuff for you as well. So there's stuff available there for anyone if you have any sort of interest in football or kit uh, come along and um, yeah check us out it's going to be a great event great stuff thanks a million for joining us this morning Paul and uh, cheers for showing us your wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> excellent thank you so much have a great morning Paul yeah. being there actually have anything else to wear he just wears jerseys all the time like yeah I, mean, I would too if I had that collection mm. Kerry you've had some interesting ones down the years they have I've uh, my whole life's purpose is to find that Adidas shirt from 1996. I think another one you're on about. Morris Fitzgerald would have worn it well. Yeah, it goes. Mm. One goes on sale online every couple of months for about 150 quid. Always XL, and uh, so I want to wear it. What are you, an S? I'm an S. Mm. What are you? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, same as yeah. Um, I I think hashtag help help own here. You know. Get the man the jersey. Yeah, I, uh, name any price. Well, not any price. One hundred and fifty quid is probably my uh, limit for that. One hundred and fifty quid. I I've stopped yeah, buying jerseys as well. When you when you talk about like the changeover, like yeah. they, they changed into Paul Galvin style this year, wasn't it? 
and uh, and they had one change since then as well I think so they've changed twice since what I think was their best uh, modern uh, kit idea is it is it not a fairly basic point though if if you bring out a really really amazingly cool jersey why are you changing it yeah like it just it's, it's, it's bonkers like this and then it's like oh like check out this you love this amazing new like Bose jersey or whatever it is great but why are you changing it then after 12 months I mean you've literally had it for one season which could have been during COVID when people didn't even get the chance to bloody well wear it at a game like I, I just seems so horribly commercial to just keep it, and it, they just lose value. Then you just forget. You, like Galway United probably had some great jerseys over the last few years. I just don't remember them because they've had too many of them. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I mean it's a first world problem, but it's a real first world problem. Yeah, I get the sense that you care about that subject a small bit. Uh, it is at eight forty-two. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to have Mayo football legend David Brady with, with us very shortly. But before that, here is our Republic of Ireland goalkeeper Courtney Brosson speaking to us ahead of Vera Powside's World Cup qualifier against Georgia next Monday. Just uh, about your own role on the team. Obviously, at the start of the campaign, you know it felt like the, the number one spot was very much up for grabs. Vera Pow picked you. And you can see just game by game, you seem to be growing in confidence. So, when Vera told you that you were going to start that, that Sweden game in Tala, how much of a, a confidence booster was it? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've said it a million times before, we obviously have a great goalkeeper squad and I think we're working every day to be the best and obviously be ready when our name's called and when we're needed. So I think that's kind of what I've tried to focus on, just doing my best in training, showing myself, and then when I get my chance in the game to kind of uh, show what I know that I'm capable of. So I think it's obviously great to go out against a team like Sweden and put in a solid performance that definitely helps to boost the confidence. And like I said, we're building something as a team here. And then it's nice to personally continue to build alongside that as well. Goalkeeper is that position where, you know, you, you might have to wait a while to get a chance. You have your chance now, but just in terms of you, you touched on something there with the other goalkeepers, there's always seems to be a very close relationships or relationship rather with goalkeepers. They're almost like that the goalkeepers union where, you know, they're all rooting for you. Yeah, I think obviously it's just such a unique position and the only other people that know what it's like to play the position are the ones that are also playing it. So I think that obviously creates the unique bond within the goalkeeper group because they know what it's like to play in those games or, make saves and things like that. So I think that just helps us to continue to be close and to support each other. And everyone knows whoever's playing that the rest will be there to back each other up and things like that. That was Courtney Brosnan in conversation ahead of the continuing quest for qualification for the Republic of Ireland towards uh, Australia next year. It is 8.44. You're with us here on OTBAM, which is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is going to be a big day of football, in particular on Sunday. Of course, it's two days of football, but Sunday's looking like it's going to be the biggest crowd in Crow Park since before the uh, breakout of COVID. Mm. So uh, you've got a couple of massive fixtures there. Galway against Armaz at a quarter to two and Kerry against Mayo's at four o'clock on Sunday. The Saturday fixtures are uh, Derry against Clare at 3.45 and Dublin against Cork at six o'clock. So we're four, um, four really good fixtures there. And Kerry travelling numbers? I don't think they'll need to to fill that place out. Mayo and Armagh might do it themselves and I think Galway will probably travel in in, in a good degree as well. Uh, David Brady, uh, Mayo legend, is with us on the line. David, welcome back to the show. We haven't had you on in a while. Um, Thanks, it's been uh, been keeping quiet on, been keeping quiet, but nice to be back and uh, hope 
yourself and Johnny are well. Yeah, I'm good, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was on the phone to you yesterday and I think you kind of made the point that Kerry just need to show up on Sunday. And uh, this is what the, the Mayo folk have been saying all week, that this is just going to be... The Kerry are, are already home and hose. The Mayo will be doing well to keep the ball kicked out to Kerry. The ability of Mayo people to, to yarrow well, I will say, isn't very subtle. Yeah. You, uh, I think you were the one that said, on that uh, Curry only need to show up on Sunday. But look, at, um, it is it is a little bit different. Um, and I think the reality is a little bit different as well, that we are really up against this, um, up against a Curry team that have be- beaten them twice already this year, both in, uh, in the, the National League and the League Final. I think the League Final probably is the most telling thing uh, to where them both teams were at that time of the year. Um, but it really is a, a mountain for, for Mayo to climb. It's not saying that um, they have no hope to have, and they always will. This team under James Horton um, have always been competitive and always given it their utmost. And I think it is it is a real challenge. But you can't you can't go without saying that Curry are red hot favourites um, for this game uh, on Sunday. We're just going to take a pause right there while we try and uh, improve that line just a little bit, so uh, we can hear your hot takes crystal clear before are you, Sunday. Are you going to? Like uh, come back on the fact that he claimed that you essentially said Kerry only have to turn up. Well, I clearly didn't say that. I, like it is, it is mad. Though. Like I, again, I was just right about in the poem. The contrast of their preparations, like it is literally polar opposites, and like that has to be a small concern that you're coming in so cold to a game where you have typical Mayo preparation, stumbling through a couple of challenge uh, qualifiers, and. Kind of come into hand, so to speak, against, and it's kind of hard to know like how it'll work out in that regard. So the preparation thing is really interesting. So Kerry haven't played a game that had an uncertainty of outcome since the league final. That from I think today is eighty days exactly mm. since eighty full days since Kerry have had a game where they don't know the outcome of mm. that game. That's extraordinary. I think what's creating an extra layer of nervousness is not so much Mayo, it's because Kerry also went a huge period of time without a meaningful game last year mm. and it bit them in the arse once they got to Croke Park. They hammered Tyrone, they scored six goals against them in Fitzgerald Stadium in the league last year and then got beaten by Tyrone at Croke Park. The gap between those two games was 77 days. I counted it yesterday. It was 77 days. We're now 80 days out from the league final. So the gap between the two Kerry and Mayo games is bigger than the two Kerry and Tyrone games. So anybody who kind of like brushes off this idea of, of being undercooked or that you know, it couldn't could possibly happen again. It happened last year yeah, and I it's a bigger gap relevant. this year. Now the thing is they have surely taken into account a lot of the learnings from last year. They have brought in one of the best defensive coaches in the country, which has statistically improved them defensively in a way that I didn't see coming. They've conceded far few goals, far fewer goals this year in the league compared to last year. In the Munster Championship last year, they did concede a goal in every single game, mm. and the goals screwed them against Tyrone. This year, they didn't concede a single goal in the Munster Championship. So, if Mayo don't score a goal against Kerry, I do not think they will win, and I think Kerry have a very good chance of not allowing them to score goals. And that would be the one thing that I would read into. But we've got to stop basing this whole notion that Kerry are going to hammer Mayo on the league final because that is just so irrelevant not just because of the 80 days but because Rob Henley wasn't playing that day Oshin Mullen wasn't playing that day Paddy Durkin wasn't playing that day Dermot O'Connor wasn't playing that day Owen McLaughlin wasn't playing that day Jordan Flynn came off injured famously David Clifford standing over him Killeen O'Connor only played the last 15 minutes Portugal Horror was left to mark David Clifford one on one that will not happen again I presume I'm not, not saying that's going to make up a 15 point gap but Jesus if you're like looking at the league final and say well Kerry hammered him 
last time they played in Croke Park, therefore they'll do it again. This is a completely different universe to, to the one that we saw at the, at the start of April. For the record, I do think Kerry will win on Sunday. But this idea, like Kevin McStay uh, during the week uh, described Kerry, Dublin and Derry as shoe-ins. And like, I, I just can't see you putting uh, Kerry... Mayor, not, Mayor never, like, whoever's playing Mayor is never a shoe-in, like. But, but that's, the, I just don't think you can put Kerry, Dublin and Derry into the same category this weekend, Do, whatsoever. Dub, Dublin will obviously win. Dublin are in a category I, I, don't, I don't actually don't think Derry are, are going to hammer Clare, um, but, but I wouldn't call Kerry shoe-ins at all. Um, and I, I think Kevin McSay is playing the kind of, playing the Mayo man a bit there, where he's like, ah, yeah, sure, you know... I, I'm not sure he believes that. He he went on to say that beating Kerry would arguably may, be Mayo's most audacious win to date. David Brady is back with us on the line. Would it be Mayo's most audacious win to date if they were to win on Sunday? It would definitely only be a, a win against the odds. But um, I, it, it's it's this is this is a team that um, the vast majority of players are well capable of beating any team, and we've seen that going back to 12 months ago. Um, when the beat the beat um, the rain and all Ireland champions in Dublin, um, that you know if the if the game plan and their system works, and it hasn't it hasn't it has faltered it has um, creaked over the last number of weeks and probably months. Uh, for me, I think the big thing is from a bench point of view, um, it was going smooth, it was going well, um, there was people coming off the bench, and I think. When Aidan O'Shea and Kevin McLaughlin and the likes were kind of impacting games or coming on, it really kind of drove me on to that Mayo on to that next level. They had that opportunity against Galway as well in the kind of final. Um, again, coming back and having an opportunity in the last kick of the game to level it up. Uh, and I think players like Adrian Orm would never take a shot like that again in that situation. They had control, they had the ball. Um, and that's nine tenths of possession. They would have worked it. They should have worked it to the main players, um, the likes of of, of Killian O'Connor, um, your 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 go-to players. But it was a shot on the left-hand side with a left foot, and it just it just didn't work out. And now we all find them in a situation themselves in a situation where um, they're playing probably one of the hot favourites for the All Ireland this year, a Curry team that you know again twenty-two odd scores against Cork. Um, this 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 team has you know it has. Dented it really dented Mayo's confidence after the National League, and we can't we can't fault that we can't not look at that. But again, how Mayo set up that day, I never I never um, fall to the to the to the belief that Mayo uh, went into that game with one eye in the championship and they didn't want to show Curry their hand. Yeah, um, it was naive from a tactical point of view um, and unfair in, in in certain situations on on, on players. We might come back to that in just a sec, but I just want to play you a, a clip here, lads. Uh, so Radio Kerry's Tim Moynihan this week uh, sat down with Jack O'Connor and uh, they had a conversation around the fitness of David Clifford. This is really interesting, looking at the body language, listening to the response. So this is on Radio Kerry. This is Tim Moynihan of, of Terrace Talk. Have a look at this. Always before a, a big game, big National League or Championship, Jack, we'd, we'd ask for a, an update on, on the injury. How are things going with the lads? I, I know David Clifford missed our Munster final. I take it all these players are available for, for selection? Well, we have a few bits and pieces. Uh, Timmy, you know, we have a few, uh, uh, you know, t- bumps and bruises at the moment. So we won't know until later on in the week whether those players will be available or not. Has David trained with the panel, Jack? He, he has trained, yeah. Right, so we we won't know Friday night when the, when the team is named. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> what, what 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 was your reaction to that, David? Um, the man's 
a typical curry man um, you know bumps and bruises um, I have them myself and I haven't played in 25 years um, psychologically but, uh, and otherwise uh, uh, and you know what um, this is what James Warren will be saying is that um, it is it is um, it is part of a game plan David Clifford plays I would I would personally like to see the likes of Lee Keegan just going straight on him and marking him um, pound for pound um, that's an old saying in, in football, but it is from a Lee Keegan perspective. He is massively influential. He is the player that have really brought Mayo um, over the line in a lot of occasions. Um, and he's been, again, football now that he's played over the last 10 years, consistent and he's delivering. So, yes, I'd have no problem, but you can't leave, you can't leave that amount of space in front of a, a forward like Clifford, even to win the ball. Um, he has he has been given too much space by Mayo again, not by just the markers, but um, the midfield. The pressure on the ball outside hasn't been there. Um, the the opportunity even for Potty and O'Shea um, to dink nice ball in and loads of space that can't happen. So I can see a defensive setup. And again, if he doesn't play well, then we're going to we're going to still focus because Curry have the forwards. Um, you know, the likes of Sean O'Shea and these guys. Uh, what was it? The last nearly ten points. He scored, but again, um, a lot from freeze. Place balls, Clifford. Um, Pauly scored uh, from place balls. It's, it's you know, when them, when them cor- when the Curry forwards uh, get the ball in the danger zone, they, they really take you on. And that's where Mayo have to be very, very uh, cognizant of the, of the pace and the power of the Curry forward line. Can we just stick with that Mayo defensive system for a moment? So you're putting Lee Keegan on David Clifford. What else constitutes this system? Like, is there a, is there a sweeper? Is it, is it like someone... I'm not, I'm not sure who, who is the sweeper if that if that's what James Horan goes with. Um, honestly, um, I would personally look at the likes of playing Stephen Cohen on the half forward line. Um, Stephen has been um, not not as as I suppose dynamic or he hasn't controlled games the way I would have liked him to do it. But I think he has a, a massive ability to read the game, read scenarios, and read situations. We have a half forward line that hasn't dominated um, on each and every game. There's been players, I think. Jason Darty probably unfairly got the hold off after 20 odd minutes um, the last day. I would maybe, I would definitely look at uh, putting the likes of Stephen Cohen on the half forward line and playing as a sweeper right. and cutting out, cutting out them runs. He has the mindset, he has the capability. And uh, we're, we're from, a, from, a, from a backs perspective, we have that kind of um, luxury to say, yes, um, we have a, 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 a back a back formation and a, and a back unit that is capable of um, having one or two guys coming in. So Cohn drops back as as a sweeper from a half forward. Does, does Aidan O'Shea have, have any role in that defensive system? Because obviously you're going to have, I presume, Flynn will start this weekend. So you're, you're going to have O'Shea wearing 11. What, what's his position then going to be and how, how does that work in terms of how Mayo set up defensively? Um, it's a big plus for Mayo to have Jordan Flynn back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he has really worked at his game. He has found his position. Um, he was, you know, between midfield, half forward, coming on as a sub. But I think this year, and, and really at the start of the league, he, he cemented his position and uh, really not alone complimented Matty Ruan, but, but added to Matty's game and gave Matty that bit of luxury to go forward because he knew, he knew that Jordan was had the capability and the fitness to cover back. Um, I do see Maddie and, and uh, Jordan Flynn starting in midfield. Um, and is there is there a place for Aidan? Um, there's a place for, on this Mayo team for, for Aidan O'Shea, 100%. Is it to start? Is it to come on? Um, is it to add that bit of 
dynamic play that he can from a defensive point of view with 25 minutes to go you think he might not start this weekend there could be a possibility yeah there could be a possibility and and it's not about the man that's starting it's about the team that finishes and Aidan O'Shea would would would, um, be more than happy to contribute in any way shape or form as as other Mayo players would be as well Um, do you play Aidan on the on the half forward line and have him dropping as a sweeper or do you again Go like Aiden has played all positions this year except full back. He's played centre back, he's played midfield, he's played centre forward. Uh, I could actually see him also being probably uh, the fulcrum of of in the in the full forward line. And I'd like I'd like to see Kenny and O'Connor come out to the half forward line a little bit more. I think he's been a little bit blocked up, um, a little bit of uh, devoid of space, and I think he probably needs space to to get into the game coming back from the injury. Um, he, he can find himself probably a little bit choked in the modern game in the corner forward, full forward position. So I'd like to see him come on out a little bit. Against Kildare, Dave, did 10, 10 individual scores from play. Like, Is that a good thing or are Mayo basically lacking the marquee forward to win a game where a marquee forward is likely going to win it for Kerry? Um, look, at it always the, the, the forwards always take the, the glory. Um, but from, from our perspective, there was actually one or two plays in the Kildare game at final stages where a forward didn't actually touch the ball mm. from the end, one end of the pitch to the other when the ball went, went over the bar. Again, it was our, it was back to back to Mayo's strength. Their half-backs, their full-backs, strong running. Um, and I suppose when teams are playing a defensive system, um, you need to be cognizant and you need to have backs that can play as forwards. Um, the likes of Parker Hora setting up, up Mushin, uh, Oshie Mullins' goal. Um, the, the forwards haven't been functioning the way you'd want them to be as what you call marquee but uh, I think they have the ability as a unit um, to play to play together but I would like to see the likes of um, Killian coming out a little bit more I'd like to see Jeremy getting a little bit more um, involved in the game he has been on the periphery um, so it, it, it's there's a, there's a lot of ass from a lot of players and I think um, we can't we can't say oh maybe they might because they've done it in the past and they can they're well capable of putting it up to this um, this Curry team on Sunday. That, that's really like there's a lot in that. Like, can I just put you on the spot here? If you were managing this team, how, how would you pick it? So, like, are you saying that you would put Aidan O'Shea in on the edge of the square and go for like a twin tower set up with himself and Jack Carney and have Killeen O'Connor as what is essentially a half forward? Is, is that what you would do this Sunday? May all need to bring. May all have the ability to have the players. It's just probably to get the actual game plan and 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 to tweak the tactical point of view. You're not you're not going to turn the world upside down and say everything goes through Aidan O'Shea. It doesn't. But I think it is a very viable option. And uh, again, you're not going to have the same team talk and same tactical plan as you had in the National League final against Curry. That's not going to work. Um, you tried it, tested, didn't work. You, you move on to something else. But I do think we have to bring so, uh, something a little bit different. And I do think the pace of the game, um, it, the intensity of the game, probably um, at this stage of his career doesn't suit Aiden up and down around the middle for, the, for, for that vast majority of the time. And, and I think, yes, he has the ball winning uh, capabilities to be in the full forward line. Um, Jack Kearney in there is a fine young fella, serious pair of hands. Um, there, there, could be, there could be a lethal uh, combination together. But I definitely think um, a defensive from a sweeper perspective does Kevin McLaughlin come back in and play his old style sweeper sitting back I think it was more Stephen Rochford's era than anything else but um, they, they they need to be defensive and the thing is on Johnny if we're if this game is in and it doesn't matter if Clifford plays or not and there's uh, there's 10 minutes left and there's a point in it 
um, there'll, there'll be a lot more than um, bumps and bruises because um, that's that's when when Mayo and we've seen it against Kildare and we've seen it against the Dublins and we've seen it against numerous teams over the last three, four, five years. Um, if the game is there to be won in the last ten minutes, um, I, I'd um, I'd have a little wager. Right. So you think that Kerry kind of need to to win this game, like by f- five points, half-time. the direction half-time. Half-time. half-time is halftime is vital. Whoever, like even in the in the in the national league game this year, and you've seen it in a lot of the games. You've seen it in the Derry or the Armagh Donegal game. Um, the, the 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 time, the vast majority of games that Derry have played this year, the team going in at halftime with with a lead um, brings a massive amount of confidence, a massive amount of momentum. Yes, our tactics are working, our plan is working, everything we said is working because you're going in two, three, four points up at half time. Uh, I think that is that's going to be a crucial indicator of how this game involved. The besides the psychological aspect of it, I think David's totally right. If Mayo like what Mayo will have gained from that Dublin victory last year in terms of pulling it completely out of the fire and if if it is a two or three point game more or less as the game is developing the second half you, you do wonder psychologically what Kerry will be thinking and as you said on this 80 days are completely they're not battle hardened at all this year in terms of and Mayo Mayo really should be finishing really strongly psychologically and otherwise I don't think Aidan O'Shea should be starting a game like this I think mobility wise like he's a player to bring on as a, as a kind of a, that option to, to maybe play high balls in at the end but his mobility is just nowhere near good enough Do we not think he's having a good season though? No? Yeah but for, for a game like this where the pace of the game you're in Crow Park I, I don't I mean he's, got, he's not going to last the 70 minutes and then it's a question of does he, does he upset the way that Mayo wants to play in a game like this would be more of a running game I would have thought I, I think he'd be more of a player to bring on and have that option when Carrier like it's it's a different challenge for you when he comes on and Carrier may be psychologically a little bit vulnerable after last year I think in the closing stages and on that uh, like there's, that's that's what a team is about and and like people have the wrong opinion about Aidan O'Shea that he thinks he needs to be front and centre he doesn't he's a, he's a vital player for the last decade and more in Mayo and I think um, whatever role whatever part he will play as an individual as a team player is uh, is vital with me on but it doesn't mean that you have to you have to have 70 minutes or you have to have seven minutes there's a, if there's a, if there's a win um from a Mayo perspective on sunday um that's the most important thing from a from a county from a from a, a team from a dressing room and uh, you refocus then and and uh, you might you, you have you have a potential doubling in front of you so you have no time to uh, no time to celebrate there I appreciate that the majority of this conversation is around how Mayo set up, especially kind of like in attack and the little constellations that they might have. But like, I'm really interested in Ryan O'Donoghue this weekend. Like, what percentage of fitness does he need to have for James Horan to start him? Do you reckon if he's like 75% fit, are you throwing him in, or is anywhere other than 100% meaning that he's sitting on the bench for the start anyway? Um, a man once asked me. He said, uh, "If you're 100%, you'll play, mm. and if you're not." You'll win the game for us. I went right, and again, he the 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 manager said to me that you know you need to be 100 percent to start this game. I need 100 percent of you throughout the game. Uh, what you do in the first five minutes, what you do in the last five minutes, that's that's what I need from a player. But if you're not 100 percent, you don't start because you have the you have the capability then of winning the game. Very rare you'll ever it's, it's you'll see a manager gambling with a guy that. Come on, hamstring, and then after 20 minutes, hamstring gone. Um, it's so scientific now that the medical team, the backroom team, physio team know your capability, know 
the, the, the vulnerability of an injury and uh, it's about the lungs. It's about the capacity to last 70 minutes rather than when your in- injury lasts. But uh, I would definitely see as uh, Ryan O'Donoghue, if not 100% fit to play a full 70 minutes, that he will come on and play a, a very telling contribution from a from a in, in Gaelic now it's it's no longer a 15 or 16, 17 man. It's a, it's a 20 man game. The four or five subs that you will bring on have, have a, a massive role to play when they're sitting in the stand looking at the areas that they need to focus on and where they can add value or contribute when they come on as a sub. And I think who won't start, but he will come on. And again, we all need that experience, need that capability, especially in a forward line, to uh, to even to, to match this, this Curry outfit. So in, in your world, we could have who and Ed Noche coming off the bench at some point in this game? Um, with about 13 and a half minutes to go, um, you know, I've just pulled back an equaliser and you make a double substitution bringing in O'Shea and Ryan O'Donoghue you've really, uh, you've really worked this out 30, even to the half minute and all well look at the, 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 the last 15 minutes if you look at it even look at it, I'm, I'm, I, I don't like talking about it even in last year's um, All-Ireland final um, that, that final quarter that final quarter no matter how you look at it in every single game um, you have the opportunity to win the game as a team. And and it is vital, and your bench is vital. You're, to, to talk about that scenario and that situation um, in the final quarter and to, to envisage, it, envisage it as a manager, you're going to go, where can I bring, you know, who can I bring on? Why can I bring bring them on? What are they going to add? What can they, and again, it's about pace because there is so, the, te- the technicality of football and the actual, I, I think that, the tactics, the formations, the the sweeper systems, the plus ones, the you know the 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 the, the pack defenses, that goes out the window, out the window with 15 minutes to go, that no longer exists. The gloves are off. Your good clothes that you put on, thinking you're going to be um, the better of the ball, it's all gone. It's it's not about the the, the semantics, about just playing football, and uh, that's we, we've seen it again, Kildare versus Mayo. The, the best of intentions, the best of plans, go out the window, and and uh, it's it's that's where you you really want to have to have a, a real strong finishing team. It mightn't be your starting team, it mightn't be even your best team, but you need to have that team that's focused on that finish. What's your prediction for Sunday? Honestly, it, it, it is going to be a, ver- a very very tall ask from Mayo. Um, again, um, given the amount of injuries they've had over the last two to three months. Uh, and two to three years, guys have struggled to come back, and it's a hard ask to come back year in, year out, and uh, and try and produce it. Uh, I'll never lose faith in this uh, in this Mayo team. I'll never lose hope. Uh, and there is there is um, there is a, a hill to climb. But this this Mayo team have have and you know they're playing the, the All Ireland, I suppose, favourites, and and that's where that's where um, they'll probably. Um, bring bring the best out of them, but it, it, it is going to be very hard. And I I, I see that Curry are, are going to be dominant, and and, and rightly so. Jeez, they're, they're Mayo are four to one. Like I, that they're not a four to one chance in this. Like it's just everything about this Mayo team. What uh, would you price them at? Oh, it's, I think it'd be closer than that. Like it'd be more one, one to two, one to two, two to one. I'm just, I didn't I hadn't looked at the odds. Just throw four to one. Like I mean. Uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a slight perfect storm element about it, David. I know you don't want to like talk of Mayo's chance, but like I, I don't see this being anything but close. I'd say we'd be 
eight to one or nine to one if you're really realistic. <laughs> you're, the, you're 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 into the Kerry spiel here. Like I can't, I can't, there's, there's, there's a lack of consistency here. I will say, David. If I, I, I hate to be blunt, I, I I do I do hope though. I do hope Mayo win All Ireland in, in the very near future. So that like it's kind of like waiting for the saviour once it eventually arrives you'll be like grand we can kind of chill out now and enjoy life because it's been a long old road look at we'll always enjoy life <laughs> uh, tell me tell me one year in the last 13 years that Mayo haven't haven't put in one big performance yeah one Twen- one big performance 2018 in, uh, in that year they did um, but no not, in, not, not from a, a final perspective um, but I, I they, they, they're going to be competitive and it's going to come down to the wire. Um, it's going to come down to the last 15 minutes. Yes, Curry have the best bench. Um, they have more experience. They have probably the best individual players. Um, National League champions. It's, it's, um, it's, all, it's, go, it's all going very well for them. But if, even from the, the, the court perspective, um, and yes, again, Curry scored over 20 scores in that game as such. Um, they... They struggled to, for, a, I suppose, a degree of the game to figure out the defensive, um, the defensive um, system from Cork. Mayo will have learned a few lessons from that that, you could, that James Horan could take. And uh, again, the double team guys. But it's it's um, it is it, it is it is a massive massive weekend for football. And it's a long time since we had this in the real world outside of COVID. Yeah, um, mm. Park Saturday, Crow Park Sunday. Um, now looking for tickets, and it's 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 really where we've come back, boys. And it's been a long two or three years to get to this normality and quality and class in Crow Park. Yeah, I can't wait, David Brady. Thanks a million. Enjoy. Thanks, sir. See you on. See you, Danny. See you. What what do you think they do with Clifford? Well, as David said, there if. What was I can't remember the exact quote. You're either a hundred percent, or and you're going to start, or else you're going to come on and win the game for us, and. I'm pretty certain David Clifford is not 100%. Really? Uh, it's like... If he's not 100%, like... There's been a lot of wild, different speculation, and a lot of it is incorrect. But the one consistent thing is that David Clifford is is not... It's not 100% fit. And I think May will target that if he starts. So I, I don't know. Is he the sort of player, though, who can come on and, and impact the game? Of course he is, because he's like, I, potentially one of the best players. But I didn't see the Kildare game, but like uh, <coughs> Daniel Fling got one point, which... Yeah, like Daniel Fling's been playing a bit differently this, yeah. this year, though. Like, I mean, dropping a bit deeper, trying to bring in players, and they missed a load. Like, I mean, mm. it, it feels that there was just just the way the camera angle was set up. It was getting the ball on the right hand side, cutting it on the left, and uh, a shot that would drop short at the left hand post, and that just happened again and again mm. and again. It probably only happened like two or three times, but it felt like Kildare kept opting for that shot, and like it could have been a very different story had there had Kildare got rid of that old adage of Kildare can't score points and like that's something that tripped him up in 2010 I thought and mm. it's something that came back to bite him a couple of weeks ago as well so I am amazed it's 4-1 now I have to say because like, there's big, yeah. nothing historically to suggest that this I mean I know you know you look at the league and that but if, if I, it's hard to I think the, the Jack interview is very interesting his body language but if Clifford isn't 100% surely like yeah, you can look at the league as you say, but also in the league, these are team number one and team number two mm. from the from the league. For yeah. a four to one shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mayo, Mayo, and Crow Park. When did they not? When did they not go very, very close at the very least? When like the, ever their seasons on the line? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's 
Uh, it is 12 minutes past nine. We're going to have Kevin Walsh with us in just a moment. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning for Gillette, by Gillette Labs for an effort is finished to your day. Coming up on OTB Sports Radio today, we've got Mike Lone's Life After Football. That was uh, the pre-Love Island version of Mike Lone's and all Love Island chat on that. Paul Rouse on his history of sport from three o'clock. A ropey panel from four o'clock uh, around uh, the OMA bombings. And then six o'clock is OTB Gold with uh, Ogie Moore in conversation with Joe. Off the Ball is live on your radio tonight with Richie McCormick in the hot seat. You can follow Off the Ball across all our social channels you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to download the ODB Sports app for the latest and best in sports content and analysis we're back after this break uh, with former Galway manager uh, Kevin Welch looking ahead to Saturday and Sunday's All-Ireland Football quarterfinals OTB AM It's 14 minutes past nine you're very welcome back to OTB AM we are continuing our build up to the All-Ireland Football Quarter Finals in Croke Park this weekend we've just been chatting Mayo against Kerry with David Brady we'll be chatting to Kevin Walsh in just a moment about Galway Armagh how are you feeling uh, Johnny before you get to him about the confidence levels for this one it's very, it, very, it feels very very hard to find anybody who can give me a definitive answer to how this game is going to go yeah it's, it, looks, uh, it's, it looks very nicely poised Um uh, you know, I I think there's a belief in Galway. It'll be interesting to hear what what Kevin says. I'm actually really f- fascinated to hear Kevin's views on it because Galway have been in such a transition for for the last number of years to get to a stage where they can fit into this modern, albeit evolving game of Gaelic football. And um, I I suspect that Kevin will have, as much as he's not the manager, will have, will have taken great pride from the performances of the likes of Conroy in that. And the way that Galway are playing football is is true to the old school of just beautiful kick passing, beautiful um, forwards. Um, will that be enough is the question. Do they have enough defensively and in terms of a game plan? And Galway do not have that much experience at Crow Park either, really. Like, I mean, did they, after 2001 had a horrendous horrendous run at Crow Park didn't win a game there I think for like 16 years and even in recent years we've only had sporadic visits there fairly tame against Mayo last year so it's a hard one to call I think the last time Galway won at Croke Park I think maybe against Kerry in 2018 the, the Super 8s clash I think so yeah that was so it was maybe it was 17 years that was their first win I'll always remember when 2001 when they beat um, Paul Joyce outscored Mead that day and I always remember the, the paper the next day, Galway are on the cusp now, Galway are just going to dominate Gaelic football. They didn't win a game in Crow Park, as I think, for 16, 17 years. And uh, I wonder if it comes down to the wire psychologically where they're at. They're not battle-hardened like the likes of Mayo, but it's going to be some atmosphere there. Like I mean, the, the novelty of Clare being up there, Derry being up there, Armand and Galway being in Cork Park, it's going to be a fantastic weekend of football. Yeah, no, I really can't wait. Like, there's been loads of uh, reaction this morning. Uh, Ronan Hurricane has been in touch to say, uh, does a lack of Super 8s affect Kerry's warm-up for bigger opposition? Pity we don't have the Super 8s this year. A group of Dublin, Mayo, uh, Kerry and Cork and Armagh, Galway, Derry, Clare will be class. Oh, personally, I think I'm uh, Super 8's got a very very hard time and I think that one of the reasons why the Super 8's fell flat in its face was because Dublin were so dominant mm. so half of your groups were four yeah, yeah. so I actually think it got a little bit of a hard time personally mm. we're going to be going back to a group set up next year and I think it'll be much better does it affect Kerry's warm up for bigger opposition that's an interesting question I do think though that the last year the Super 8's 2019 Kerry's first game that year was against Mayo and they hockeyed them mm. now it wasn't Killarney so maybe that was mm. the reason why but Kerry have shown an ability to come straight from Munster to put in a big performance like they, they scored that the seven goals wasn't it against Kildare that one time they beat Galway well in 2017 on the flip side obviously they got caught by Galway in 2018 but I'm not sure the 
I'm not, I'm not sure that Kerry not being ready for bigger opposition as a result of Munster is an excuse at all. And like, even, like I don't if, know the one. Like, as a coach, like, what is there anything you can do to sort of make them that war ready? Uh, Against a Mayo team that is, it's it's so typical of Mayo that they've been able, like they've now had what are you talking three hard games already, like and that does stand to you. I think it does. I yeah. think psychologically it does. How it come probably, the how come the Dubs managed to come through Leinster? Like to say that they were unscathed would suggest that somebody even tried to land a scratch on them yeah. over, over those six, six in a row and still managed to destroy teams routinely. I, I think their I think their squad depth was so insane that like you just had to be at it or you weren't. Well, that's playing. what people are talking about with yeah. Kerry at the moment mm. that they have that level of squad yeah. depth where you have like yeah you're fretting hugely over Clifford. Uh, fretting over hugely over Clifford because he is an absolutely amazing player. I've got I, if you if you want to lose a player in one position, I would say that corner forward position is the player where, uh, place we want to lose a position because for the season so far, Paul Ganey, Tony Brasson, and Killian Splann have been competing for one spot yeah, in that yeah. forward line. Who would get into a lot of other teams in the country, a lot of the other top teams in the country. So uh, we'll come back to that in a while, but we do want to focus on the Galway Armagh match. And delighted to say that Kevin Walsh is with us on the line now. Kevin, how are you getting on? Morning, guys. How are you doing? Very well. So we were just talking about that Croke Park element a few moments ago. And it's a really interesting storyline that's been spoken about for the majority of teams, actually, this weekend. You know, how do you handle Croke Park when you get there? It's definitely a thing when it comes to the Derry footballers. It it still feels that there's a bit of a hangover with the the, the Galway drought between 01 and 2018 in in Croke Park. And maybe indeed for Galway's opponents, Armagh. So... From your own experience, Kevin, how much does the game change when you get to Croke Park? How much of a factor is it in your preparation? Uh, look, I, I suppose it's 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 a daunting enough area. I mean, I chose to it, and uh, well, I'd have, been, I'd have been long advocating that the, the dubs should be taken out of it for for, mm. for certain big matches. But and that's and that's the reasons. And look at you, as I said before, you you look at the bookies and the guys are used to it. It's a it's a big help. But for these two teams, I suppose Galway and Armagh um, are fairly new to the occasion, so it should balance itself out, uh, albeit. Um, 17, 18, 19 the Galway boys are probably more more experienced than, than I'm uh, on that um, but look at it's a totally you know the pitch is probably isn't that much bigger really to be honest when you measure it but it just plays bigger and it's a uh, you know I suppose players getting their second wind and getting into the game is really really important so uh, look at it it's 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 a daunting but it's a place every player wants to be so you know, it suits certain players it doesn't suit other players um, but I suppose you know they're, they're two footballing teams, um, but it'll be interesting to see how space can be covered up because uh, it, it, it is a bit, it is a bit bigger. The, the, like that's the thing. Like Galway Armagh, I mean, um, feels like it kind of has life of its own. But with Derry this weekend, people are asking the question: Can you implement their traditional Ulster style of football in Croke Park and make it all the way to, to winning Sam Maguire? Is that a, an unfair question to be asking, or or is there challenges in implementing that sort of game plan? In Crow Park, I don't think the challenge is much different. To be honest, like when you measure up that field, it's not that amount bigger than anywhere else. So, uh, it's you know if, if the game plan is well designed, which it does seem to be for Derry, um, you're always going to leave one or two up. Although I see some teams at the minute that leave nobody up, but you try and leave one or two up and um, make it for a quicker transition. Um, but then if, if you've got pace and you've got speed and uh, you get your defence right. You can't hit any teams on the on, on the break. But look at it again. We can overplay that. Um, you have to be looking at, uh, you know, what what the value of the talent. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to send a group three horse to win the derby. So, like, it's 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 a lot of. I suppose a big weekend to show if players can stand up and if they're, if they're up to this or not. 
I suppose we don't know that with, with some of the teams involved. You, you, know, must, look, from, from you must be looking at the Irish star with Aidan O'Brien supplementing the filly there, Kevin, because he, he knew he'd only <laughs> group three horses, so he had to add her. Just before you came on, though, I'm very interested from a coach's perspective. If you're the Kerry manager, if you're Jack O'Connor, like, is there is there is there that concern? Like, how ready are we for war here? Given our prep, like we've, we haven't played for a proper game for eighty days. Like, is there anything you can do? And I know you can play challenges and so on, or is it just something you have to deal with? Something you have to deal with, and I, but I suppose you know they've, they've had a lot of time to get themselves right. Look again, you know Kerry, Kerry, I, I, I haven't won at Ireland, but they're still well, well used to Crow Park and the big, the big occasions, the big fields. They're, they're well used to that. That's not going to be a problem. I suppose the question you're asking is, do they win their own game? But look, they're going to be fresh as well. Um, they're long enough playing together. This team is very similar to the team that we'd have played back in 2018. Um, you know, Paddy Clifford is probably new. Um, they've lost, we suppose, Crowley. You know, J- Dave Morden isn't playing as much as he used to be. Uh, James Dunno has gone since that. But they, but they have the whole team um, apart from from Paddy Clifford. So I don't think that uh, it's going to be a massive issue for Kerry to be honest. On the curtain raiser, then on Sunday, this this Galway Armagh game, Kevin, as I'm sure you're, you probably agree with, it's a very very hard game to call. And when you try to dig down into what might edge it for either team you start to, to look at matchups if you just start with, with Galway first of all and that Galway attack I mean you know these three lads from your time they're very very well and Shane Walsh <coughs> Paul Conroy and Damian Comer yeah. Are, is it still very much a case of if you stop those three lads you've got a very very good chance of, of stopping Galway or have they moved beyond that point yeah look this is, this is the first real test to see that um, and again we don't even know how actually good our are because they actually didn't win Ulster so and Ulster at the minute you know doesn't seem to be as strong as it was so it's hard to know. It's really, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. Um, I suppose, you know, Damien, Shane, they're 28, 29 now. Paul Conway is in his 30s. Um, there's no doubt they've been the big players so far. But, uh, you know, you look back at the Mayo squad, the first game, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Even um, Perry Durkham was missing that day, who probably would have normally picked up Shane Walsh. So, you know, it's have they got the heavy treatment yet? <clears throat> and I, I, by that, I mean the close contact of players and it's just really hard to know if the same space will be there. I don't expect the same space will be there as has as got there. Ross Common is was the other test. Uh, Galway really deserved to win that game by more. But, you know, for the last year or two, I've said this in one of the last podcasts, I don't see the Ross Common bite there like it was a, a number of years ago. Uh, they have to find that. And uh, again, that was one of the questions I asked before the care game. Was that bite going to be there to, to get over the line? And it didn't seem it was again. So, you know, it's... It's hard to know. The, the 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 test of the real close contact probably hasn't been there in the, in, in, in the Connacht this year. So this is a real first test for Galway on that. Um, the three lads up front, Shane Welch is, is obviously flying at the minute, so is Damien, so is Paul. But then again, you know, Ulton Harney kicked three points in play against Galway, which is a, which is a concern. I think it was direct, direct contact with Paul. So it's it's those things will have to be watched. Uh, it's not all about the attack. Um, Co Park is, is, as we, you know, it is bigger than all the pitches. So it's how are you going to make sure that you're okay on that side as well? So a lot of questions to be answered. How how do you talk, what do you make a Galway defensively, Kevin? Um, look at it. I suppose Porrick's time. You know, the, I suppose it took maybe eighteen months or so to maybe fully realise that the defence has to be covered, and it took one or two heavy, heavy, heavy mm. beatings as well. So, but again, that seemed to have gone back to where if that was, which is probably a good thing because you just can't be shooting the lights out and uh, talking about it like so. Um, they're getting bodies back. They're, you know, I was down the Clare game. I, I did, I did, 
reckoned that they were going to get bodies back for the for the the kind of championship this year on the basis of what I saw on Clare and Tume. I think they scored only one two each at half time. So I expect Galway to be defensively. Uh, they seem to be pulling in the two wing backs in in to cover. I'm not so sure that's the right thing in Crow Park. I think a plus one is enough in Crow Park because you go two back like that, you're leaving your outside defensive line at, at, at a few yards short. So I'd be hoping maybe that we'll see a plus one, um, a sweeper that can see man see ball at full times and that we'll get the extra man pushed out into the, into the defensive arc because the gaps will appear in Crow Park if that arc isn't full. So um, look, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it's not just about getting bodies back. It's about, you know, knowing your full role in that system. So it'll be interesting to see that system and what they have in place and to see can everybody cover off their own their own areas. Because, you know, if you play Sean Kelly full back, which I presume they will, Sean Kelly, you know, technically isn't a man marker as such. Um, he'll need a bit of cover so he can do the real damage going forward. That's what I would expect. But again, the sweeper will need to know exactly what he's doing. And uh, when you look through the, their math forward line, you know, Duffy's flying at the minute, mm. Nugent is flying, O'Neill is flying. Those gaps will have to be well, well protected. For sure. Like, And it brings us nicely on to the, the main man in, in, in Reno O'Neill. So the question for Galway, I presume, Kevin, is not just so much about how you try and quell his quality and his ability, but it's also about where he's going to play and the different pockets that he picks up. I, I assume that complicates matters a little bit for Port Joyce. Probably does. Um, and again, it'll be down to, you know, do, do, will Galway be zonal in, in defence or will they be completely man-to-man or will they go zonal and a plus one man-to-man on Reno O'Neill? What would you do? Um, to be honest, I, 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 because of the class of what it looks like, the class of the, of the, of the, of the six forwards, I, I'd be trying to get a bit of zonal done there because, um, you know, I don't believe that just shooting out uh, or shooting out Reno O'Neill is going, to, is going to stop the match. Uh, you know, Duffy, as I said, is flying inside. So is Nugent. Um the lads in the outside line, you know, Campbell, you know, they're all going well, Rugen, but look like going well. But again, the question is what what intensity did Donegal bring to that? I mean, we, we played Donegal back in 2016-17 in Marketage Park, we beat them by 16 points, where they just kind of have collapsed. So was that a, a little bit factor last week as well? I mean, the two kickouts were to the cornerbacks, they both dropped the ball, and which allowed Armad push up. If those drops weren't given, would Armad be winning in that game by so much, I'm not so sure. There's also periods there, I think, where Donegal won the first, maybe 20 minutes of the first half where they would have won like 9-2 at one stage. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's, it's just, I suppose, a load of unanswered questions on, on, on two younger teams. The point you made earlier about um, Paul Conroy is really interesting because obviously he's been getting a load of praise for his attacking exploits, but... Going the other way, it sounds like you think that there, there's an ability to ask a question of him. So, like Armagh against Donegal anyway, with Stephen Sheridan and Ben Creeley in midfield. So, you'd imagine one of those might be picking up Paul Conroy. But is there a shout to potentially put Jarley Og in that position, just given what he can do to Paul Conroy going the other way? Yeah, look, again, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of those having the likes of Jarley Og who can play. He's, he is playing really well, going back and coming off the shoulder as well. So, I'm not so sure they'll move him, to be honest. Um, um, I think they'll probably stay with what they are. Uh, you know, I suppose Paul Connolly's been finding pockets and we all know he's a very good kicker and shooter. But like I said, the other way is just as important. And even going back to what's common goal in the league final, there was five or six Galway lads there, including Paul Connolly, who was probably the closest and just allowed him to walk by him. So those little things really need to be tightened up. And, you know, you're coming to quarterfinal now, you're coming to, to better teams. Those things will find you out. And the, the old saying, you know, you know, defence wins, 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 wins championships, and attack sells tickets. That needs to be looked at as well, in particular for for Galway. But in fairness, the last year or so, 
go over there, get the bodies back. But it's 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 a relation to Crow Park now. What what can they do up against the better the better teams? And like either Armagh or Galway, they really have the nice side of the draw at the minute. So I suppose there's a huge carrot here for for the teams, and I suppose it's important that you don't like the, like the boxers do. You don't go out and try and win the first round and even have completely open. I mean, just need a cool head and uh, have a look at the opportunity that's there in front of us and and and. Uh, Go at it in a, in, a, in, a, in a controlled manner, as it was. Uh, are they are they scarred by Mayo last year in the sense? And you mentioned Paul Conroy, mm. who like Paul was very good in the first half, and a bit like the rest of the Galway team, they basically just fell apart in the second half. They were completely battered by Mayo. Is is that is that niggling in the back of your mind, Kevin? Look, I suppose I've always said that you know you, you, you treat the two imposters the same way, the winning and losing. So you break the game down. You treat the first half and the second half the same way, and, and look at what happened. It's not just as simple as. You were brilliant the first half and you fell off the second half. Things can go against you, you know, things can go, things can go with you. A ball can come off the post, you may be looking after the rebound and put it in the back of the net, mm. or you might be looking not to get the rebound. So all the middle things have to be taken into account. So it's not just as simple that you fall away. Um, I would say probably in the last 10 or 15 minutes that, that you know, when the game is still there for you and, and you see a body language where the head goes down or two or three people start tracking or there's a kind of a token tackle that kind of tells you where you might be giving in. Where, to be fair to people, it's not all about just a very bad first half, second half. You need to break them two, two down. So I don't think that that'll scare them. Um, I just think that they'll see an opportunity that it's a new team like Armagh. And I suppose if you look at the, the, count, the country at the minute, Armagh and Derry are probably the two teams that we'll say have improved. You look at the, 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 the pretenders to, to Kerry and Dublin, I'd have to say that they've gone backwards. You know, they've like Tyrone, Monaghan, Mayo, um, you know, the, the teams that are up closer, they seem to be going backwards, which means the pack is open behind Kerry, Kerry and, and, and Dublin in a minute. Yeah, just one last question about uh, Galway Armagh that, that I had was just the specific on who marks Shane Walsh. What, what's the what's the best matchup uh, from Armagh's perspective on that? Again, it's, it's, it's I suppose that's, that's kind of hard to know, but, you know, I suppose probably one of their tightest markers would, would, would be Morgan. And, mm. um, you know, he's a tough defender. He's no-nonsense uh, he's mentally very strong. He does get a few bookings. Um, is he the guy? Maybe that will, will, will take up Shane Walsh. He, maybe he is because I'd say he's like a guy that doesn't. Uh, his mind doesn't go wandering for five or ten seconds. He's like a guy that's just, that, that's focused on his task, and it'll be someone that's, that's that is totally focused on the task uh, to 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 stay with Shane and you know take him down the, the the alleyways that probably will suit the opposing teams. But you know, look at Shane is on top of his game at the minute. Um, but again, has has that space been open for him, and will he be tested on the other side of it? Probably will start to get tested now as he comes to quarterfinals. So, um, as I said, some of the bigger players might have been missing in, 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 on the on the the Mayo side that might have might have challenged that. Like Boyle obviously is is, is gone now. Durkham was missing that one. Uh, Keith Higgins is gone. Parsons got left middle area wouldn't be as strong in Mayo. So I'm not so sure how much they've been tested yet. So look, I'm really looking forward to this one. But probably Morgan might be given the task maybe. In terms of Galway's evolution, kind of in the last ten years since um, I suppose the Jim McGuinness era, really. Like, how did you find that, Kevin, as somebody? And maybe it's a lazy thing to say. Oh, Galway, the football purists, always remember you as a player in that era of Gaelic football. How did you find that transition? Because it, it never looked easy for Galway. And like when you had um, what was considered a defensive system in an era where everyone had to play that way, how hard was that to inculcate in a Galway DNA that just didn't seem to have it? I'd say to be honest, it's it's probably difficult for every single team uh, unless you're brought that way up through uh, an underage system and where, where you're given all the tools. And 
I suppose that's where teams are going to improve in the in the future is what county boards now are are I suppose putting their 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 development camps in to, to give all the tools to all the players so that when they come to 1920 that they're able to step into whatever is required and that's something that's been short and missed in in most counties and uh, I suppose that is the evolution that's going to come forward now is because if you're going to have any chance you need to get in there early but it's a very difficult thing to do to uh, I suppose teach old dog dogs new tricks and. And uh, that is very, very difficult to do. It takes a long, long time. And it takes an awful lot of perseverance and it takes an awful lot of, of I suppose, coaching as well and, and understanding. So it does take a long time, but I suppose all you can do is, you know, is, is, is measure as you go along, set targets for the team so that they can see and give them feedback that they are improving. Because, you know, if you look at everything that, you know, it takes so many weeks and months to develop a new skill. And unfortunately, when you think you're not developing, the first while of that of that being done, people get frustrated and they don't see the improvement. So there's a thing called, if you ever look at the habit curve, it'll show that first six weeks of any skill, you mightn't see much improvement at all. It's the next four that you'll see, you'll see stepping up. So it takes an awful lot of time, it takes an awful lot of belief and it takes buy-in from, from the players. And the only way you get that is to, to, to measure and show improvements. And if you don't do that and you can't do that yourself as a coach, you'll probably lose them along the way. But look, it is difficult, um, but it's essential. That's that's where things are gone at the minute. And even, I suppose even Galway proved that over the last number of years where it's not, it just can't be a shootout and out you go and, 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 and talk about tradition. And, and in fairness, if you're a Galway person and without, without, being, without being too strong on this, you know, we had a good, good enough era, era after having a bad era and uh, mm. we're lucky enough to, to be there in 1998-2001 and maybe, maybe left one or two behind us. But at the same time, you take out that little section from you know, from 1966 to now, that's that's the section that was competing. So, mm. all we needed to change and they do something different. Uh, it's really interesting what you talk about there, like in terms of trying to teach an old dog new tricks. Like one of the men you had with you in that era under during your Galway managerial stint was was Paddy Talley, and, and he managed to instill a, a really good game plan defensively for for Galway at the time, or he managed to help you along that. Like, mm. can he do? Can he teach? those old Kerry dogs some young Kerry dogs new tricks this year have you seen enough from what he's done in Kerry this year to, to suggest that they've made that step forward themselves I'm just interested in your insights on, on Tally yeah I, I look at the fair because because as you said earlier on they just haven't been tested properly I, I, I'm not sure yet uh, where that's gone to, and I'm really looking forward to it from quarterfinal stage on for, for Kerry including as Mayo because Mayo will test that um, but it'll be really interesting to see like I suppose Paddy came into us he came in after the same area had been out, so it was late January when he came in. So it's technically only a few months. Um, I'm sure he'll bring some of that with him, and I'm sure he'll be, he'll be trying a lot, a lot of that. But because in fairness, Kerry would have always been marking beside or right behind or tight, and always had the ability to hold up. But look, in, in defence, it's always you should delay, deny, and then defend. And, and but Kerry were always defending first. So hopefully that. You know, from from Kerry's point of view, that Paddy will be shown how to play in front and that type of stuff, or Kerry missing the pass. So, but again, I haven't seen that yet. But hopefully, this championship is going to show us that now. Who's winning Galway Armagh? Jeez, that's awful hard to call. Like, honestly, like it's 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 really hard to call. And if you break down their Armagh forwards, they all look 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 really good talents coming forward. But then you go on for Galway forwards, and you have Shane Walsh and as you said, David Comer and um, Rob Finnerty's kicking pints for fun. When he gets space, will it, will that space be afforded? Um, not so sure um, and then I suppose this, is the supporting cast strong enough to those three or four uh, that'll be told again um, it's really difficult to call I'd I, I, I be only shooting I, I guess at it, and I suppose that's why the bookie has made money but 
um, it it'll be interesting to see what type of defence is, is deployed in, in, in Co Park. It's a it's it's a little bit more difficult. But look, I'll have to go from my own county in this one and hope to get off the line by one or two. All right, Kevin, enjoy it on Sunday. Thanks, Millie, for Thanks, your Kevin. call. No problem, guys. Uh, Kevin Walsh, former Galway manager and, of course, All-Ireland winner with Galway as well during his playing days on the line. Johnny, thanks, Millie, for being with us in studio. Enjoy your wine tasting and uh, derby day and I football said, on what Sunday. Am, what am I doing? Oh, I've got to say, Hobart. What I mean, am I doing? Yeah, you, you have to. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back at half past seven tomorrow morning. Shane Hannan's going to be in as a co-host where we'll also be joined in studio by Irish uh, tennis player Jenny Claffey looking ahead to Wimbledon. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.